Welcome back to Movie Briefs. Today, Mac and I head down south to talk about how to practice hot, steamy, sweaty law with 1996's A Time to Kill. Why don't they have air conditioning? We don't know. And how often should you take your pants off in front of a law clerk? Probably never. But does any of this matter if you look like Matthew McConaughey? Of course not. All this and more coming up right now. Because it's devastating to my case! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You got into Harvard Law? What, like it's hard? By law, you're entitled. It's called disclosure, you dickhead. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! How's it going? I'm fantastic, Aaron. How are you doing? I am. I am doing great. I just watched one of the most visually appealing films. Hold on, hold on. Before we start talking about this, I gotta, I gotta prepare. I gotta, gotta. Uh, oh God, he's basically. Oh, there it is. An yeah. Okay. Water. I'm ready to law now. Let's law. Let's get a law on. Yes. Um, Cole is glistening right now. Oh, <laughs> now. water dripping from his face. Listen. <laughs> I'm ready to be a lawyer. As as I as I said last night when we were texting, there are certain actors that the more moist they get, mm-hmm. the more beautiful they get. Mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey is one of those actors. There are others. I would submit. Oliver Plath being one of them, the, the more moist they get, the less appealing I they just, look. We are not going to do any negative Oliver Platt content. None. I just want to be clear about that. No. Cole. No. Okay. I, I just, listen. Very sensitive. That's my boy. Matthew McConaughey looks good in this movie. <laughs> it was surprising to me. It took me by like i was arrested by (laughs) like it was distracting i forgot how handsome he used to be but ollie man close second i'd go out with that guy oh 100 i would go when he introduces himself to uh sandra bullock and is like do whatever you will to me that was hilarious (laughs) yes i just i just want to make it clear that oliver platt is going to be a pod favorite um i'm making that executive decision right now not only because he was in executive decision but also because it's all about. <laughs> I think it's that's fair. Guy. Oh, so good. But no, I like you, I was sort of arrested a little bit at how they framed this is like the Michael Bay of lawyer movies. <laughs> because okay. because Michael Bay only cares about one thing and it's the human form. Usually the female human form, but he sure. made Will Smith a, a movie star. Okay? He said, Take your shirt okay. off, I'll make you a movie star. And that's what Joel Schumacher is doing with Matthew McConaughey in this movie. He's like, I know you're a and lawyer. it worked. <laughs> I, I know you're a Get lawyer. Get rid of those sleeves. But no sleeves, lots of humidity, a ton. Yeah. So You much. know, I was thinking about this, the, the, the wetness of this film. Everyone's soggy. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This book was written in 1988, right. I want to say. Right. 
89 maybe. I don't know. I have it in my notes somewhere. We'll circle back. But the book was written in 88, 89. Yes. And the movie was in 1996. These are eras in which air conditioning oh. happened. I am so happy <laughs> that you brought this up because I did a little investigation with the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. And yes. I just want everyone to know that in 1951, the window air conditioning unit was invented. My God. <laughs> and according to the Mississippi <laughs> Department of Archives and History, that unit quickly gained popularity in Mississippi and was already mm-hmm. in 16% of households by 1960. That 16% mm. jumped to 47.5% in the next 10 years. And by 1980, a full 69.9% of households had yes. air conditioning. And do you know why it gained so much popularity in Mississippi? Because it's fucking hot. It's hot there. Yes, Aaron, front hot. row, hot, correct. Yes, I raised my hand, so, hot. Listen. There's no, there's no I need. I just want to say, when I worked in New Orleans, their criminal courthouse did not have air conditioning except in the courtrooms. And then in the courtrooms, they had wall units sure. that were noisy. And so they were often turned off when we were on the record because the court reporter couldn't hear So I've endured a fair amount of sweatiness in a court. Sometimes public buildings are weird and they're old and that kind of thing. But there's no reason why in the offices, in the houses. Exactly. You know, jails are another one of those where it's like sometimes you don't have any air conditioning. Got it. Public buildings are an uncomfortable place. The courtrooms are usually either way too hot or way too cold. Very rarely do they hit the sweet spot. But that dude's house. House? Has air conditioning. Yeah. I think the only building with air conditioning in this film was the judge's house. It had to be. And he was sitting outside. Like an idiot. <laughs> right. You know, it made me wonder. This this movie, I feel like, it is so deep in the racial divide in Mississippi. And the women are, like, wearing dresses. There's no computers anywhere, even though in the 90s, certainly lawyers were working on computers. Right. Certainly women weren't wearing these, like, house dresses that seemed to be kind of a callback to a different time. A lot of stuff in this movie looks like a callback to a different time. Like, if you were to happen to see, like, a segregated water fountain in the background, I don't think anyone would have been, like, it wouldn't have seemed out of place because this movie looks like it happened in the 60s. And when you look back on this movie, you think of it as happening in the 60s, when really it's like the 80s and 90s. When I kept looking for, because I'm not as familiar with this movie as you were, just from a movie standpoint. I've seen it one time. I'm familiar. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I have the text to prove how familiar you were with this movie. (laughs) I watched it and I kept looking for, because I'm also not a John Grisham reader. And so I'm like, was this set in the 60s? Was it set in the 50s? Something. But there's way too many modern cars and there is mm-hmm. a typed brief, and there's there's just way too many modern conveniences, even the phones that they use, that it's like, no, they had air conditioning, it's absolutely a thing, and all it is is Joel Schumacher saying, let's just wet that McConaughey down <laughs> if we well, could. I almost wondered if it wasn't kind of a, they were trying to evoke a different time and a different place other than the modern South so that people wouldn't watch this movie and think, well, that's not how it is right. here. That's not how it is in my state. When it absolutely is. That's absolutely how it is right. in the summer of 2020. But I, I wonder if they weren't worried about like backlash of like, well, we don't still have KKK. Right. You know, we, that's not how people would react to this kind of thing. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I know what you're saying. Well, and, and I, Do you think it was intentional? I had to sort of talk myself out of, like, I'm not giving 
the production crew of this movie, which it is a very entertaining movie. And, you know, the people who made this movie are responsible for making some of the biggest blockbusters of the 90s. But I'm not going to give them the Spike Lee using the sweat and the heat and do the right thing as a metaphor for this racial tension. I don't think no, that's what no, they were no, doing. No, no, that's in this movie. not what I'm saying. No, I'm I know, saying, no, if I know, anything, I know. they're trying to distance it. Right. From, no, no, no. I, <laughs> trying I to be like, agree. this isn't us. This is like a totally different world, you guys. This isn't us. <laughs> yeah, very... not not a film without its problems when discussing race no, and uh, no. its uh, social issues uh, in the United States. Uh, definitely has a white savior problem, to say the least. Yes, um, and, <laughs> and a white savior who I think from. Jump Street is aware that he is a white savior. Um, yeah. He's aware that he's a good-looking man who yes. is there to practice some good-looking law, some pretty law. Um, pretty law. And, pretty you know, as, as a connoisseur of the McConaughey, uh, for better or worse, as I am, uh, he would call that a green light. Uh, he wrote a book <laughs> called Green Light, and that's <laughs> a green light. Um, you know, sometimes... You got to say McConaughey, uh, you got to take advantage. And that's what he did. And good for him. (laughs) Because of that, I looked up a little bit like how the film was received at the time. Because I think viewing it now is a little bit different than viewing it in 1996. Yes. And I didn't find a lot of like pushback from that time period. Except that Europe freaked the fuck out. Did you, you Google any of this? I didn't. No. Europe hates a time to kill, particularly France, because the film was seen as apologizing for the death penalty um, and playing on sympathies for like the, the plight of black Southerners at the time to like legitimize murder and vigilanteism. And there were all of these articles about how a time to kill justifies the indefensible actions of a mentally ill man, and they're like playing on our heartstrings to like make vigilante murder okay, and to say that the death penalty is okay. It was wild. So wild that to market the film in Europe, they had to put a question mark after the title, A Time to Kill? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to make to make sure they <laughs> the audiences didn't think the thesis was it's definitely a time to kill that's the time to kill which is the thesis of the movie it seems like but yeah yeah i, I have a couple of comments for our uh fans in europe one <laughs> yeah hey european fans do y'all see any other american movies like this is not a unique issue with vigilante justice <laughs> Uh, in American film history. So let's just... You guys just... know about Batman? <laughs> Godfather? Like, any of them. Like, it's just all vigilante kills. That's kind of what we do here. Um, yeah. And I appreciate the discussion about the death penalty, but there's also been one or two death penalty movies in the United States. Why you chose this one mm-hmm. is shocking. Now, granted, this is... I guess it's considered an epic... Because it is seven hours long for it's no so reason. so long. It is a half hour shorter than Schindler's List. I'm just throwing that out not there. A, not a moment could be cut from this masterpiece. I'm sorry. I get that this movie is not without problems, but fucking fight me. I, I love, I love A Time to Kill. I will say there is not a moment that could be cut. There are groups of moments when added together could be considered <laughs> a chunk of the movie. There are entire storylines that could be cut. Yes. I, and I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, the KKK storyline. But that's a different podcast. Doesn't, that's a totally different to podcast. There. The secretary and her husband doesn't need to be doesn't there. Doesn't need to be there. Uh, you know, obviously Kiefer needed a job. Kiefer did need a job and his dad got him one. The story of the 90s. 
<laughs> Kiefer Sutherland plays a psycho because daddy got him a job. Daddy got him a job. But uh, this movie also has some law in it, or tries to have some law. I mean, I don't know how I would really group it. It attempts <laughs> to it's, law. It's law adjacent, <laughs> for sure. All right, let's start. Yeah, okay, let's get first into it. of all, let's you guys. I completely forgot. I haven't seen this movie in probably five or six years. I forgot what a fucking horror show the beginning of this movie is. Yes. Like, it is a straight up horror film for the first like 10 minutes. It's... So, if you're triggered by anything, I mean literally anything, you might just want to cruise on by the first 10 minutes of this movie. Yeah, you don't need, I mean, you need them for the film and they're well executed and all that stuff, but. Not only trigger yeah. warning for this, trigger warning maybe for some of this podcast. You know, we, we're not going to spend a ton of yeah. time talking about it, but if you have issues with talking about things like sexual assault, rape, murder, things like that, that's going to come up sparingly in this podcast, but just as a heads up. But yeah, you're right. The, the first 10 minutes, I was uncomfortable. Wildly yeah, uncomfortable. it starts with the rape of a 10 year old girl, and you get it from her perspective, which is real rough. I just wanted to mention that. And I wanted to say, I remembered her being murdered. Like, I thought she was murdered. I did too. I didn't remember that she lived through it. Um, which, you know, yeah, yay. Yeah. I, I mean, guess it's, a little, it's she, slightly she better. survived. Um, yeah. So one thing that uh, was brought up to me, and this is before we get into this, because I have a feeling the word mistrial may come up in this podcast. Weirdly, I think I wrote the word mistrial more in my notes than I wrote the word lickable. And I think I wrote the word lickable 25 times. You texted me, like, watch out. I've written the word lickable many, many times, to which I think I had to respond again. That's a different podcast. He just looks so, I was just so thirsty and his skin looks so moist. Um. So it got brought up to me that maybe not everybody understands or knows what a mistrial is. We kind of throw it around jargon-wise. Sure. I think yeah, you know, it, you I'm going to take a minute just to tell you very briefly what a mistrial is. So um, when you hear lawyers talk about a mistrial, at its base, it's just a trial that didn't complete. Typically, it doesn't complete for some sort of error that cannot be fixed with a jury instruction or some occurrence that happens, such as, you know, if one of the attorneys dies or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. A very popular one right now is COVID. There were trials going on when COVID got really bad, and then the courts had to completely shut down. They deemed a lot of those mistrials because you can't finish it, the juries let go, and then when it's time to go back to court on that case, they will impanel a whole new jury and completely start over. So um, when we say mistrial, we're not being... um, That's how bad some of these errors are, I guess. Because a mistrial is hard. Mm -hmm. Like Judges don't want to order mistrials. Have you ever had a mistrial? I've had, I mean, technically a hung jury is a mistrial. Right. So if, I've never had a hung jury. Yeah, if you get a hanger, that's technically a mistrial, but that's not an error. But no, I have not. I've had threats of mistrials, but I have had a hanger. So technically, yes. My only almost mistrial was when a, a defendant's father had a heart attack in the courtroom and a jury member had to do CPR on the defendant's father. Oh, wow. That didn't get you a mistrial? <laughs> That was not a mistrial, and I was or I got an award for taking life-saving measures in that situation. So well done, counselor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I knocked on a door. You what? So <laughs> I knocked on a door. The jury, the jury was be- the jury hadn't come out yet, <laughs> and this is real. So this happened. Horrible situation. Very grave situation. But 
I happen to remember from Vardir that one of the jurors was a, uh, a nurse or a medic or something like that. And so I ran in and grabbed the juror that I remembered was a nurse, and uh, he saved the guy's life. And somehow I got an award for that, and I don't think <laughs> I don't think that juror did. <laughs> Whatever. The military works in mysterious ways. Right, right. And, and you know what? That's probably a curable mistake. There's probably an instruction to be done there, or you you would voir dire the uh, jury member to say because you helped yeah. the defendant's father, does that affect your judgment in any way? Um, things like that. It helped that he was a medical professional, you know, because he'd do that for anybody. Of course, right. Right. Yeah, and jury misconduct is a big mistrial thing, guys, uh, which we will get to when we start talking about the restaurant jury. There are so many mistrial examples in this movie. Oh, my God. All right. Okay, you you want to start off with this? You fire away. This is your show. This is a time to kill your baby. All right, so we've got this, this little girl is raped and beaten. One of the guys that does this is Doug Hutchinson. Did you remember that? Mm-hmm. Or did you notice that? I noticed that. I didn't Who remember Who actually it, but... did marry a child in real life. <laughs> what a fun fact. Right. Anyway, um, sorry, I just had to, um, I'm obsessed with that situation. Okay, so after this happens, the sheriff comes to arrest these guys at the bar. Yeah, it's some great law enforcement work Some. Re- re- so he, he's like, hey, guys. I've got to arrest you for, you know, the the rape and beating of this little girl. And then they're like, well, we don't know anything about that. We didn't do it. And he takes the child's shoe in his bare hands and slams it down on the bar. And is like, well, what do you have to say? That's in your truck. Guys, this isn't law. This is law enforcement. But don't don't take evidence. There's a, put it in your bare hand and then slam it down on the bar. Yeah, Don't do that. There's a lot of mishandling of evidence uh, in the trial mm-hmm. and in the investigation. There's a lot of chain of custody problems. Um, yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Yeah, there, the law enforcement, um, while Charles S. Dutton is one of my favorite actors, I love the TV show Rock and Who Doesn't Love Rudy, not a by-the-book legal sheriff in this one he's doing a lot no. of stuff that gets you in a lot well, of trouble then he proceeds to kick the shit out of the guys which while satisfying as an audience member maybe not the best sheriff move right with 50 witnesses in the bar which is the which is the tagline of this entire movie everybody who right. gets done killed and the shit kicked out of them it is very satisfying and mm-hmm. very against the law <laughs> yes right so they get arrested we meet matthew mcconaughey and his friend oliver and uh, the cops basically say, hey, did you hear what happened? Uh, our, your friend, kind of, Carly's daughter, right. was a victim of this, and we arrested these two guys. And McConaughey mentions that he defended Carly's brother in some kind of something, something. So he kind of knows him. Right. Chopping on his little baby cigar. Like, what is, what is with that, Matt? I love that little baby cigar. Love the baby cigar. Oh, are you serious? I can't. I don't. I'm powerless. I try. I tried to be like, "Oh, what a gross T-shirt! Ew, a baby cigar!" Like there are so many. I tried. I am powerless. I can't do it. Don't worry. I'm <laughs> Ash- Ashley Judd will be coming up here in short order. So oh, you okay. mean Charlize? Oh my god. Anyways, <laughs> no. Now that I saw it, I was like, "Wow, that is Ashley Judd." But in my, I will talk to me five years from now. I know. Be back to Charlize. Throne. We've had this conversation anyway. many times. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so then that night, Matthew McConaughey, Jake, is in his office, and his friend, kind of, 
Carly comes to see him and he says, Jake, if I were in a jam, would you help me out? Yep. Implying I'm going to go murder those guys who raped my daughter. What what do you what what do you think here? I I tied myself in knots over this thing. So I th- as I think a lot of lawyers do, like I tried to answer this off the top of my head, and then I had to dig into the rules of professional conduct to really figure out. And this goes to what if you guys haven't listened to uh, Legally Blonde, go back and listen to that because uh, we we sort of discuss a little bit why the rules of ethics are so hard. And one mm-hmm. of the reasons is it's the what you should versus what you have to do mm-hmm. conversation. And this is such a perfect example of what should you do versus what can you do versus what you have to do. Um, I don't think, and my, my knee-jerk reaction was he doesn't do anything. Like, I think if I was the lawyer, I wouldn't have told anyone. I think some of it, well, okay. I think some of it depends on, is he your client? That's definitely, that's the first prong of figuring and all And I think this out. some of it depends on how well do you know this guy? How seriously are you taking this? Right. Because uh, to me, me watching it, I felt like it was pretty serious. And I don't know, I still don't know if he represented him in that conversation. I don't know if Matthew McConaughey is Carly's lawyer, is Samuel L. Jackson's lawyer in that conversation. Well, and you, but you do have duties to prospective clients because there's clients that come in. Yeah. And you do form uh, attorney-client privilege, even though they may not have hired you, or maybe they even mm-hmm. hire a different attorney. And that's where this gets really confusing. So I looked at this as Carly being a prospective client. And right. I think a lot of people probably think, oh, I've heard that it, you know your lawyer can't say anything. Um, but if you're going to tell them you're going to go do a crime, that mm-hmm. you the lawyer can then tell what that crime is going to be. And that's not entirely true. Right. You know, the, the rules of professional conduct have a crime fraud exception that really only cover right. crimes or felonies that are going to deal with property or the finances of another. Mm-hmm. Doesn't speak to violence or anything like that. Now, in California, our rule 1.18 sends you to the business and professions code 6068E2, <laughs> which tells me that I can but I'm not required to report what I think may be a prospective violent act that could cause death or serious bodily injury. So right. the rules in California are, it's kind of up to me, I think, in this situation. And, and it has to be a real, you have to really think it's going to exactly. happen. Right. I mean, I, I have a duty to report if I think there's an imminent threat to life or limb. Okay. Serious bodily harm, that kind of thing. Right. And, and is this imminent? Is this something he's going to go out and do, like, right away? I mean, this that provision applies to me also for, like, a suicide situation. You've got to save your client's life if he or she tells you, I'm going to walk out the store and do something to harm myself. You right. know, those sorts of things. It, does he take it seriously? <clears throat> and then also, I think at the at the most, even if he's a prospective client in this situation, he has a duty to be like, don't. Like I yeah, really feel like yeah. he has he has a duty to be like, "Hey Carly, don't break the law." Like right. you're supposed to advise your clients to not go out and do that crime, whether you have to report it or not. Yes, I, I th- and I think you get to that's the that's a really great way to look at it is when he leaves there, does he have to tell somebody? No. Is Ashley Judd yeah, so. who is right in all things? Is she right when she says you should tell the sheriff? <laughs> She's right. He should. Like morally, legally, he's not obligated to, at least in California. But in that meeting, 
he 100% should say, Carly, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to say that if you're talking about doing anything that's illegal or violent or any act of retribution, that you 100% should not do that. Yeah. I, you know? I think he did have that obligation. I do, so too. When, that, so, right, just do and that. And do you think that he would that, be yeah. breaking... Do you think he would be breaking privilege to call... Like, we've we've addressed he doesn't have to, but do you think he would be doing something wrong by calling the sheriff? No, I don't. I might lean on the side of yes on that one. See, my, my thing with the reason he's not, at least, again, California-specific, is yeah. in that instance, he's he's one of two things. One, he's not a client. If he's not a client, there's no privilege. It doesn't matter. I'm just a citizen. Right going and giving a tip to law enforcement saying, I think my buddy Carly is going to do something. So in that instance, no problem. The second thing is he has established some kind of client relationship, whether it's prospective or actual, uh, actually retaining, which he clearly didn't retain, but whatever. If there's some sort of relationship, I then am given the option as to whether to say something. And if I did, I don't believe I'd be breaking privilege. I think you would if you had that imminent harm standard that that I referenced. Because if you believe him, then I think you have a duty to report it. Right. And then if you don't believe him, I think you can't or else you break your privilege. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I think that's you right. Know. I think that's right. And, and that's, what's, that's what's so hard about the subjective standards of it, really anything, not just these ethical rules. But you'll get, you know, that's one of the reasons we've talked about a Malum Ince client might be a little easier to <laughs> right uh, you know to, to represent because it's like what did you think what were you thinking but i don't think matthew mcconaughey thought about any of this stuff i think he thought about somebody did that to my little girl oh yeah i'd do the same thing that was the only thought he had and then he went home and he slept no first he told his wife about the privileged conversation and then he slept yeah, i'm sure he, um, po- he popped off a shirt got onto the no sleeves i understand mm-hmm. uh and then was like Honey, uh, he did. Carly he came did. in today. He did and, do that. Yep. You know, I'm still pretty. I'm so pretty. I'm just yes. very, very pretty. All right. Next day, he's in the office. He's carrying around a football, as he does in all movies for no reason. Um, Oliver comes in, uh, makes a great joke. Don't you have any clients to highlight the failing of the Matthew McConaughey firm? Yep. And McConaughey makes an outstanding joke, which is just waiting to pick up yours on appeal, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> that is a great lawyer joke. I, I yes. dug the hell out of that. And can I just say, uh, Matthew McConaughey wanted to be a defense attorney, went to college to become a defense attorney, green light. And, it shows. Uh, decided that that wasn't for him because he wanted to tell stories. What do you do for work? I feel like that's what they do is tell stories. That's the whole thing. By the way, you're going to be hearing a lot of free excerpts from at least the first half of Green Lights uh, during <laughs> this podcast. That's it's Matthew McConaughey's book, by the way, if you don't know. <clears throat> a batshit crazy book that Matthew McConaughey wrote. Yes, Green Lights is a completely insane book uh, <laughs> that is... If you have the opportunity to listen to Matthew McConaughey talk about his batshit insane book, Green Lights, please take that opportunity. And it's really, insane. do the Marin interview. I'm sure Mark Marin needs the extra downloads from us sending him uh, <laughs> these listeners. But Both of it you? Is, it is something to hear. I'll just say that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, All right. Wet Dreams comes up a couple of times. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Um, okay, so we meet the secretary of the firm, who is the pigeon lady from uh, Home Alone, Lost in New York. Yep. Um, and we find out that she fucks during this scene, which is a lot. 
it's just a lot with her that <laughs> is just it's unnecessary. And I like this actress, but she did not need to be in the movie at all. No. Uh, neither did her husband. No. Neither did Donald Sutherland, who is the the old man we took over the firm from, who's an alcoholic, who's uh, the mentor. This is the problem when we get book adaptations. So you get a lot of characters that may have been really interesting in the book right. that aren't necessary in the well, movie that should have been trimmed out. I am, you know, I'll die on this hill of if you want an exact replica of the book, read the book. The book's there. You can read it. I need a good movie. Yep. All right. So Samuel L. Carly, oh Carly, Golden God, Globe like Carly winner for his performance in this film, is hiding an event in the very hot Mississippi courtroom. He's been hiding an event all night long. He got in there yesterday, climbed into a vent with a semi-automatic shotgun, and he's been waiting there sanely for I don't know twenty hours. Some people would say. He was lying in wait. Literally lying in wait. Yes. Some people would say premeditated hard. <laughs> Feels like that was part of a plan. Yeah, plan. That he <laughs> Seems had like steps devised. were taken. And he had 20 hours not to go through <laughs> with that. For the heat of passion, which we will talk about soon, I'm sure, to die down. Or the irresistible impulse <laughs> to, to, to kick out of your brain and be like, wait a minute, I've been laying in this vent for 20 hours. This might not be the best idea. If for no anyway. other reason, then my hands are going to be really sweaty and this, these bullets might start flying everywhere because I can't hold on to this thing. And they did. Yeah. And they did hit a cop. So, okay, so he guns down uh, the, the, two, the two rapists and accidentally shoots Chris Cooper, a cop, I in love the Chris leg. Cooper. I was well, so happy to uh, see him again. Me too. And you know who I was also very happy to see was the mom of these two uh, Nazis, uh, Beverly from the Mindy Project. Yes. This, this cast is fucking stacked yes. with people. You're like, oh, that guy, I like him. Yeah, yeah he's good. <laughs> yeah. And the brother of one of them, Kiefer, the piece of shit, is also there, watches the whole thing. So anyway, um, Carly does get arrested for the murder that he committed in front of, like, conservatively 100 people. Everyone. Everyone. The, this is not going to be, as, as a, a Few Good Men was, this is not a whodunit. Right. No, 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 no. Not a whodunit. McConaughey comes home with blood all over him, sits on his steps. Gosh, don't you want to comfort him? He's had such a bad and traumatizing day. Do you have anything to say about this scene? No, I do not. White button down, undone, just so sad. You just want to give him a hug, you know? I, I, I don't. I don't. I want him to take that extra time that he does changing his shirt into a sleeveless shirt to go to some extra law school so that he's better at his job than he is. Fine. All right. So then Carly <laughs> goes to see goes to see Jake, and he says, you didn't think I'd do it, did you? Which I thought was really interesting because he's confirming again, I told you before I did this, that I was going to do it. I'm not sure how um, much clearer I needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. So so this is McConaughey seeing him in the jail. I'm sorry. I, yeah, he goes I wrote my note down wrong. Right. Yeah. So I would, I would certainly hope that he is now his lawyer if he's gotten into the jail and is now in the cell with the defendant talking to him about the crime how else does he get into the jail and like sit there like that 
you can say I'm, I'm here to see, I mean, you, you will say I'm here to see a client. I mean, I've gone to jail and met clients that right. eventually don't I'm retain. just saying, I think he is now a client. Like, I think anything he says to him at this point. Yeah, I'm sorry. Th- those are two different things to me. Yes, he, anything he says to him at this point is protected by the attorney-client privilege, even though yes. I don't think he's technically a client yet. I think he's a client for the purposes of privilege. As far as has he been retained? No, probably yeah. not. Cause they haven't even talked about pricing and actually they do during this conversation, I want to say. Right. But now like before, I think we were in a little bit of a gray area. We were almost like maybe buddies talking. Now we're definitely having a, you're my lawyer or you might be conversation. hundred percent. So Carly asks him, asks Jake, you think I can win? And Jake says, it depends on the jury. Which I I guess, I mean, but you did murder two people. And I mean, he ends up being right. But like, I would be like, no, man, we're going to have to plead this thing. Like, there is a very slim chance, my friend. I would say this. I I found this to be the one thoroughly accurate thing Matthew McConaughey says in this Really? Because there's no way, in my opinion it's highly unlikely that you would ever plead this case because the DA is not going to come off of. Right. Yeah. A, Cause they're not going to, they're not going to come off of yeah. life. They're not going to come off of the death penalty. And so but they, they would have, they would have come off of the death penalty. And that's the only time you have that discussion. But if I'm having that initial yeah. conversation with my client, I'm saying like, look, you know, you're looking at a minimum of life in prison, mm-hmm. potentially the death penalty. And can you win this case? The, only chance you have to win this case depends on the jury. So I, I found that to be decent advice because that is this case. You have to find that he, it was cool to kill these guys and we're just going to give you the pass on laws. Like everybody be very clear. Carly committed first degree capital murder. Yes, 100%. This is a jury nullification case. Yeah. He committed these crimes. But I think that's the conversation I would be having is let's see if we can talk them off the death penalty. Sure. And that's the case. Yeah. No, the, I, the case is. Yeah. And I would could, talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. I would talk. I'd be talking to them about like, look, this is a manslaughter, even though he's lying in wait. Like, let's this is this is going to set the time. There, there's a lot of discussions you can have. But mm-hmm. if you're just asking the win lose like yeah, trial. No, you can't unless there's a, a jury. So uh, I will give Matthew McConaughey credit in this scene. Um, and then the rest of the credit's probably just going to go to his tries and buys for the, the rest of the mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Cause yep. looking strong, <laughs> looking strong. Yeah. Well, then we get into this whole like change of venue discussion. We go, we go over to, uh, to speaking of rapists, we go over to Kevin Spacey's, yeah. uh, area <laughs> where he's the DA talking to, to his guys about how like his birthday came early. Cause he's got a great judge and like a shitty defense counsel in, in, uh, in Jake because he's right out of law school and has a drunk guy as a mentor. And he talks about how the first thing he's going to do is file a change of venue to get to a county that is that has a makeup of more African-Americans right. to maybe get a jury that looks more like a jury of his client's peers, which is not a reason why you can file a change of venue. Right. But there are many reasons to file a chain of, change of venue in this case where 
I think I wrote down, maybe it's time to reconsider that change of venue motion. Right. File reconsideration probably 10 times. Like when your house is bombed, um, when there's a the cross burning on your house, when your secretary's husband is murdered. Um, there are a lot of times where I'd be like, Judge, you maybe, may, could we reconsider the change of venue? Because there's a crowd outside <laughs> shouting, Fry Carly, and the jury can fucking hear it, Your Honor. Is that, yeah. can we reconsider? There's, there's, when you file motions, you get to basically plead the motion on the facts that you know them at the time. You cannot right. bring that motion again unless facts change or the judge decides to hear it for no reason. I've uh, been in both situations. The facts continually change. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, yes. keep raising your hand there, Matt. And like, we need to. Yeah. And keep by the way, at that. you can appeal. Yes. It's an interlocutory appeal. You can appeal during the trial a ruling by the judge. So it's not like, oh, well, I'm preserving this for well, appeal. Some, Maybe the first some one. Some rulings by the judge in a in a criminal case, you can do an interlocutory. Yeah. Case. Some so rulings you can't. You can go with a writ. You know, on, on those things, yeah. you'd probably be able to file a writ on that and be able to get the appellate court to at least give you a ruling on whether you could move it. But yeah, the, uh, the whole conversation about the change of venue, um, by the way, Matthew McConaughey seemed, that was pretty easy law that Sandra Bullock was able to hand him. Oh with the God. right to file we're a motion. Not, yeah. We're not there yet, but okay. boy, boy, does Sandra Bullock do, do the bare minimum of law clerking and get called brilliant all through this movie. You mean that? But I guess she, she is she compared to Jake. Yeah. <laughs> She's, I, I mean, she does come up and do what I love in legal movies where, you know, you either have a clerk or a, a very young associate that comes up to the main character and says, I just got done doing legal research of case precedent on the Westlaw database, and I found people <laughs> versus law I found this on that the says the law is the law, and also people versus law, too, that says, you know, whatever. <laughs> and in state versus obvious, this happened. And so I did appreciate that they were able to get all that out very early in the movie. I tried to look up some of those cases where I was like, State v. Cooper, Mississippi, murder question mark no <laughs> not like those are not search terms that worked for me okay so there's this whole subplot about like key for joining the clan that we're going to skip over there's a bunch of subplots that are like yeah not, the only thing i want to say about it is the here. idea that kurtwood smith and key for southern are like well ain't been no clan around this county for a while uh yeah there has okay I, yeah, i'm not buying has. i'm not buying that there's no clan if you're in a county in the south or the midwest there has been clan yeah I don't care if it's 1996 or... <laughs> do you remember when we got the white supremacist Easter eggs yep. when we were younger? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I think it was probably around the time this movie came out because I remember being like, well, it maybe was, a little older. It was like Tuesday at midnight in McNaughton Park. Like, that's... Like, people knew, like, oh, yeah, there'll be like... Oh, yeah. We had Klan in our... Ca we, we grew up in Illinois and yeah. we had KKK in the 90s. But do you remember the Easter eggs? Yes. When they handed out the Easter eggs? Yes. That was nuts. Yeah. Came out on totally Easter crazy. and you were like, oh my gosh, somebody left Easter eggs, like a real Easter bunny. And then you open it up and it's like, you are a member of the master race. And it's like, oh, never mind. Oh, no, I don't it's just, want that. It's just white supremacists. Um, anyway, so yeah, no clan around here in 25 years. No, that's no. not true. It's not true. Um, They're around. But yeah, we're not really going to focus too much on right. any of those ridiculous subplots, but... But I will say yes. that night when he gets the call from Mickey Mouse or whatever saying there's going to be like they're going to threat they're like you need to get off this case and we're going to kill you or whatever. Right. And he answers the phone Effley Bailey's office. Yeah, that's I pretty I thought that great. was very cute. Yeah. 
Anyway. Disbarred lawyer F. Lee Bailey, who was very <laughs> famous for being a young... In case you guys don't get the joke, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to be the explainer guy. F. Lee Bailey got famous because like his first case out of law school was a murder trial that he won. He just took the murder trial, was totally unqualified to do it, and won the murder case. And then he built... His... And he went on to represent a lot of high-profile oh, clients. Oh, yeah. No, he became a great uh, trial attorney and then got disbarred for misusing client funds. So. Right. Okay. So now we've got an arraignment uh, slash plea day. And the slash DA preliminary hearing. Can we talk about yeah, that? Yeah, it's prelim slash arraignment slash motion, motions day it, because we're making some motions too, it seems like. So I did a little search uh, for Mississippi criminal procedure because they wow. were just they were just again doing uh, like legal bingo, just throwing shit at the wall and making the actors say it. Uh, the arraignment you don't have a preliminary hearing the same day as an arraignment. That's not a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Arraignment is guilty or not guilty. That's basically what you do. You may hear bail. You might have a discussion about bail on that mm-hmm. day. But the preliminary hearing then becomes the charging document. But then they say, we have a preliminary hearing set, but we've already given you, the court has the indictment. Well, an indictment comes from Mm -hmm. a grand jury. So you don't have a prelim and a grand jury. You have either, you have one or the other. And in Mississippi, they use grand juries far more than they use preliminary hearings. We didn't even do the pleas at the arraignments most of the time when, when I was doing prosecution and defense work it was like you do the arraignment and then you defer the plea and you do the plea on another day that didn't matter because you would always plead not guilty as we talked about in the last episode so like all of these things would be really split up but my favorite part of this thing is they're walking in you got all the inertia of like it's trial day everybody's walking in everybody's walking real fast the gallery is loaded you know they've got this beautiful courtroom two-tier gallery gorgeous southern unbelievable yeah incredible there are a couple courtrooms like this in new orleans i just i love a beautiful courtroom and i totally buy it in the south even in a small community it's like they've probably got one courtroom for that county seat so i I totally totally buy this i buy it way more there than in like a few good men or something (laughs) no not in a few good minutes. <laughs> I have practiced in probably the fanciest military courtroom, and it did not look didn't, like didn't that. Didn't stand up? No. Um, anyway, Spacey, I don't remember his character name. He leans over the, Buckley. the aisle. Buckley. 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 He leans over the aisle, shakes Jake's hand, and says, you plead guilty today, and I'll ask for life, or else he dies. It's <laughs> just like... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, first of all, this is not the time to ask for a... Pl- this is not the time to float a plea deal. Like, when is he going to talk to his client about this? Right. You know, whisper it in his ear before they stand up and do a plea? Um, wow. Yeah. yeah that's that's, bring, that's That was that's rough, heavy. Yeah, that's, that's heavy. I mean, it, it, but not inaccurate. Like, I could see DAs doing that shit and being like, Like, hey, whispering that in your ear like a yeah. sweet nothing. Yeah, I'll give you... I'm going to kill your client. <laughs> like a sweet nothing. <laughs> That's how it felt. It just felt like, or else he dies. It felt like Voldemort. Or like he it dies. was just very... happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, it just, <laughs> it just really felt like a hostage call or something. Like, or else he dies. Like your your little friend. Like, it's like listen, we're lawyers. Pump the all brakes. Right? We both, uh, as you and I say all the time to each other, it doesn't have to be this way. We just yeah. I did like how the judge reads the indictment and the indictment has a human being after both of their names, right. which I, I really, I love it when 
crimes read dumb. And one of the yep. things that's dumb about crimes that read dumb in a murder case is that they have to specify that the person is a human that got because murdered. Because every murder can't statute murder says the killing of a human being. Like, all yes. of them. So it'll be like, did murder Cole Williams, a human being. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was funny. It always is. All right. Then they plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Yes. So I think we got to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, it's a little overkill, bro. You don't need to do that today. That's not necessary. Do, I mean, it, it does have to be done at some point pre-trial. Yeah, it does have to be done soon. Not today. Not Keep today. those cards a little closer to the well, breast. And, you know, they start talking about defenses early on, and that's obviously something that you think about immediately when you get a client come in. Like, okay, what are my defenses for this crime? Because for a lot of crimes, the defenses all fit into a little category. And when you're talking about capital murder, yes, insanity comes up. Whether you want to plead temporary, whether you want to plead whatever. But you just don't, like, rip that off after a five-minute conversation no. with your client before the arraignment. That doesn't happen. And then the state responds, well, we would like a psychiatrist to examine the accused. It's like, okay, yeah, that's a right you guys have. Like, what are we even talking about right. now? <laughs> like, the judge should be hammering the gavel and going, hey, guys, let's Can all... Can we not? We, I know this isn't theater. Adrenaline's right? running. Let's just all I love this little bail discussion, though. Did you like the bail thing? Oh, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. So Spacey stands up and says, we oppose the defendant's request for bail. And McConaughey stands up. Did I mention he is wearing a suit? <laughs> well, he stands up and he says, a bail request has not even been made. And the, then Spacey's like, the state is required by, he just got out of law school, Your Honor. The state is required by law to make a bail request. And the judge is like, well, you can't oppose it until... He makes a request, so that's denied, Spacey. And then McConaughey stands up and is like, we would like to request bail. <laughs> and the judge denies it. It's the best. I found that to be fairly accurate. It is very accurate. I, I've i been lucky enough to not have that happen too much to me, but definitely early on, thankfully, most of the time in chambers when I'm talking to judges, they're like, okay, when you go out, you, you, know, you need to make this motion. Because one of the things I didn't actually know I'm going to admit this to everybody when I was uh, maybe a lawyer for three months or something. I negotiated with the people they were going to dismiss the case because my client did some things. And I wanted to call the case. Did, did some, you know, like community service or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, I didn't realize. I was like, Your Honor, we'd, uh, you know, we've, we've got a disposition in front of the court uh, for the court to dismiss the case. And he's like, well, I'm waiting for a motion. And I was like, well, I, I move. And she's, he's like, uh, counsel. The people have to move to dismiss cool, the cool, case. I'm like, cool. oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was just really excited. <laughs> yeah, no, I, just I didn't got move my, to like, dismiss my own case. No, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah, like, like that's no, awesome. no, no, no. I, I, I get it, but I, I got this case dismissed. This client's gonna be thrilled. Can we just do it, please? I don't <laughs> want it to go it? away. <laughs> um. Then the judge denies a change of venue motion uh, before it's submitted. No. So and. Uh, can we just, very briefly, this is where we start ticking off a bunch of shit that pisses me off because Longshanks, the judge, was like, no, I'm not even going to hear it. I've already thought about it. I knew you were going to file it. His name is Longshanks? He's he's Longshanks from Braveheart. Same guy. So it's not Judge Longshanks. It's the character Longshanks from Braveheart is the actor. Yes. Okay. I thought you you were saying the judge's name was Longshanks, and it was blowing my mind on several <laughs> different levels. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm uh, back. I'm back. So no judge is going to be like, you can't file that. I'm just denying it without hearing literally anything. Because if I'm McConaughey, I'm like, okay. Check. 
And no matter what happens in this trial, guess what's going to get uh, thrown back on appeal? This case. This case. Um, yep. So. I'd love it. I'd be like, deny it all. Yep. Okay. One of your jobs as a defense attorney, obviously you have to file the motions and do the things to protect your client. But you, in trial, you are looking for non-mistakes of your own to keep on appeal, to have grounds for appeal. And when judges mm-hmm. make these monster mistakes, which have happened, like they've happened in trials where uh, I've been successful, but you kind of mark oh, yeah. them, you know, you sort of mark mm-hmm. like, oh, there was this ruling or that there was, was this, yep. th- this was error, this was error, this was error. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but McConaughey was like, no, let me cure it, let me cure it, let me cure it. Uh, yeah. And... So, you know. Well, you know, it does seem like the appellate system in that state is not, he doesn't have a great chance on appeal. So he'd really yeah. rather win right now. Well, and I'm not saying he did a totally wrong thing. It's just one of those, it seems, I think, very one-sided to make that decision. Like, of course, we have to file this motion, but there are benefits to sometimes mm-hmm. being to told it... no. Yeah. <clears throat> um, But, gosh, Sandra Bullock, Rourke, comes out. Rourke. With some printed out uh, cases. From the Westlaw database. Sneaks from the Westlaw database. And she sneaks them onto the table. Maybe she gives, gives them to Oliver and he puts them, Rex puts them on the table. That say, oh my God, failure to grant a change of venue is an appellate issue. And McConaughey's like, my God, you mean if the judge gets a decision wrong... During the trial, I can appeal the decision. So he stands up and he's like, I've got two cases where a change of venue wasn't granted and it was appealed, Your Honor. And the judge is like, what? <laughs> well, uh, what I love What's is the appeal? judge goes, well, you know, uh, trial court judges don't like to be reversed. Right. So yeah. have that here maybe, by the 13th or whatever. Maybe we'll it's like. uh, hear that motion, Mr. Jake. And by the way, as the judge, don't lay out the reason that you are going to summarily deny the motion on the record. (laughs) No, that's a a bad idea. So you mentioned not guilty by reason of insanity, and I want to unpack that a little bit before we move on to the other glorious Matthew McConaughey law and that's going to happen. This is something that dates back, I found, to the Hammurabi Code. So while we're not going to talk about 1750 BC, but apparently it dates back to that. Uh, All right. So there's four general rules tests that states will choose from, okay? There's called the Monoton Rule, the Irresistible Impulse Test, the Model Penal Code Test, and the Durham Rule. And all of them say... The New Hampshire Special, that's what it's called. (laughs) But they're all basically the same thing. Like, there are somewhat, you know, different verbiage, but essentially, like, the McNaughton Test is defendant can't distinguish between right and wrong when they did what they did because of a disease of the mind. Right. They all require a disease of the mind, some kind yes. of a, a mental health diagnosis. And the Minotan rule, which Minnesota, or Minnesota, Mississippi uses, yes. is a California cognitive too. one where it's yeah. like you can't tell what's going on. You can't tell what you're doing. You can't tell right from wrong. The irresistible impulse one, which I kind of uh, mentioned earlier, is a volition one where it's like you can't stop yourself. Right. And then... Um, the model penal code or substantial capacity, that's a combination of the two. You either didn't know what you were doing or you couldn't stop yourself. And the Durham rule is just a weird New Hampshire off the chain. You're kind of crazy. Yeah, well, the, it's, it's like the, the defect, the Durham the defect led to the criminal act. It's a, which it's, is, yeah, it's a proximate cause thing, yeah. Which is like a very broad 
<laughs> God, I'd love to prove that. Like, right? God, I would love to have a, a mentally ill client in New Hampshire. Wouldn't that be the best? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that had something to do with it. Cool. Done. Yeah. Done. And NGI. four states don't even have a reason of insanity defense. Did you know this? I did Because I found I... out last night. Four states, no matter how mentally ill you are, you can be fully guilty. No way. I had I didn't four, even look that up because I never thought that would have been four states. Holy yep. cow. That's well John it, Hinckley fucked it up for everybody. When John <laughs> Hinckley shot Ronald Reagan and then was not guilty by reason of insanity, the whole country went nuts and about half the states changed their insanity uh, defenses to be more stringent. Like right. a lot of people went from substantial capacity to monoton. And four states got rid of it, and those states are Idaho, Montana, Utah, and Kansas. So don't freak out there, guys. Yeah, Yeah. do that somewhere else. Uh, The federal rule, by the way, is uh, severe mental disease or defect where you're unable to appreciate the nature and quality. We'll just call that the Catalina Wine Mixer Test and (laughs) go that way. Uh, The thing that's interesting, though, is the states will have these tests, and, you know, they can obviously pick and choose, you know, whatever they want. But then they decide who has the burden of proof mm-hmm. as to who has to, and burden of proof just means who is charged with proving the thing that's being asserted. So I found it interesting in California, we have to prove that the defendant is legally insane by a preponderance right. of the evidence. Whereas, right. So in, usually the defense doesn't have to prove anything. Right. Which but it, if you want to say that you were insane when you did it, that's something that you have to prove to get right. that defense. And I yeah. took the words right out of my mouth. Like, you're going to hear oh, us I'm say sorry. a lot. In these cases, particularly criminal cases, the defendant doesn't have to prove shit. We don't have to call witnesses. We don't have to go up and, and put on evidence. That's the people's problem. They need to prove that our person did the thing. But if we want to assert this particular defense, we have to prove that at the time they were legally insane. Whereas in Mississippi, the burden is on the people to show that they were sane. Oh, it is. By a so preponderance it's like the, the defense has to bring up the issue, and then if the issue is right. cited, then the people have to, huh, interesting. Yeah, and, so, and, and one thing I, I don't think a lot of people probably get, I hope they don't, because I hope you're not dealing with death penalty cases uh, in your everyday life, but it's a, it's a phasic trial system, whereas in a typical criminal trial, there's just a guilt phase, and then you'll get a sentencing hearing. The jury doesn't have anything to do with sentencing. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. the jury is prohibited from knowing in most cases what the potential penalties would be yeah, for a case because that's considered, you know, they might think, oh, yeah, they did the kidnapping, but, boy, I don't want them. They could do life because there was kidnapping in this other aggravating factor. Oh, my God, I don't think they should go to prison for right. life. So Well, and then a lot of times once the sentencing happens, you learn of all the priors they have, and then it's like, oh, man, for this tiny little marijuana case I just convicted this guy of, he's going to do 70 years because right. it's the three strikes rule or whatever, you know. Right. And he's got this many convictions. Yeah. So in the in the death penalty cases, it's a little different because the sentencing hearing isn't done by the judge. It's done by the jury. So you have a guilt phase, which is strictly, did you do it or are you guilty or are you not guilty? And if right. the jury finds you not guilty, everything just goes away. It's done. But if they find you guilty and you have pled, say, uh, you haven't pled anything. You've just pled not guilty. Then you go to what's called the penalty phase and you have another trial, usually in front of the exact same jury who has been yeah. what's called death qualified. You go through Vaudier and make sure that, you know, they're not disqualified for any particular reason. And then they determine using aggravating and mitigating factors whether you should get the death penalty or life in prison. And there's no burden of proof there. It's it's really, right. it's, a, it's a peculiar uh, thing. Now, if you've pled insanity, 
you actually have a middle hearing <laughs> where you have the sanity hearing. So if they determine that you're guilty and then you have the sanity hearing and they determine that you were legally insane at the time, you don't go to the penalty phase. Now you have... Uh, uh, you know, you get committed at that point and things like that. So there's a lot of procedural aspects to a death penalty case that are very particular that don't happen mm-hmm. in other cases, which is why a lot of people like this is their specialty. This is all they do are capital death penalty cases. Yeah. And and likely in a case like this, there would have also been a competency hearing. Right. If If Jake wants to stand up and say, my guy's crazy, he should probably also ask for a hearing to see if he's too crazy to stand trial, which is a different, and I'm just using crazy. I don't mean to throw around mental health sure, terms. I'm course. just trying to be simplistic. Um, but if he thinks he's not mentally healthy enough to stand trial, um, they would need to have uh, another hearing to see if he can even appreciate the nature of the trial and what's going on because he needs to understand what's happening to make crucial decisions about his defense, like right. whether to plead. <clears throat> and then you can also anyway. have a mental defect uh, hearing as well where you're not pleading insanity, you're pleading some sort of uh, mental impairment that Mm -hmm. you have a separate hearing for. So a lot goes into this. It's not just uh, I plead not guilty by reason of insanity and then the jury at the first guilt phase can find you not guilty by reason of insanity. It doesn't quite go that route. Have you ever done an insanity defense? I have not done an insanity defense and I have not done a death penalty case. You? I have have done one um, and it was was a mess and I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, But it was it was very similar to this. It was a it was a heat of passion. Okay. Um, you did something now I'm going to do something to you sort of thing. And I, I thought, I thought I had like a pretty good, good shot at it, but no, we didn't, uh, yeah. we didn't, we I know, didn't I know they're hard. I know they're extremely hard. Yeah, I have a, it's really uh, hard a to get colleague in my office just did a death penalty case a couple of weeks ago. Um, the win in those cases, a lot of times yeah. is just, I want to get him life. Oh yeah. You know, that's, that's the situation. In the, and the case I just referenced was not a death penalty case. It was just a, I tried for an insanity defense in a violent crime. All right. Okay. So now we've got Rourke coming up to Rourke. Rourke. Yep. Coming up to uh, that Sandra Bullock's character coming up to Jake saying, "Hey, I want to be your legal intern. You don't have any sta- You don't have any staff. You don't have a paralegal. You don't have a researcher. You don't have yeah. an investigator. You don't have anybody to do anything for you. You don't even have air conditioning in your office. I am here." <laughs> I can research things for you. I've got cases. I've looked them up on the Westlaw database. You're you're going to be at trial. <laughs> this comes out of her mouth. It blows my mind. You're going to be at trial in less than a month. What? Yeah, nonsense. Crazy. A capital murder case? Four years. Conservatively. Oh, easy. Easy. And and by the way, yes, you take the free help. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, don't cheat on... There's no requirement to cheat on your wife. You don't have to do that. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. Does he not take her free help because she lays out her whole, like, I'm against the death penalty uh, resume and he doesn't like how liberal she is? Or does he decline her help because she's hot and he knows if she's around, he's going to do some stuff with her? I think secret option number three, Matthew McConaughey thinks he's the greatest lawyer on earth and doesn't need help. He's right. And thinks he's got everything online. (laughs) He's right. Oh, my God. God, you're going to pick him for best lawyer. I know it. I just know it. Oh, God, I didn't um, even think about best lawyer. You're going to pick God, him You know for what? Best I would love to pick Ollie, but he's not. He's not. I don't know. He, he might get best lawyer just because, like, there's no one else around. False. All right. False. Okay. All right. I'll prove that to you later. We'll, we'll have right. that discussion later. But uh, 
I think he just turns her down because he's arrogant and doesn't want to deal with it. Now, I can tell you, as a solo practitioner, if you are willing to, if somebody's willing to give you free help, you take it. Now, there's laws that don't allow you to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't have an unpaid intern as a private firm. Another L. Woods problem, but that's for last podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah, th there's, I think there is probably part of that. You're really attractive and I don't need that. Uh, right now because mm -hmm. my marriage is already falling apart because I'm a media whore. I mean, I get that this is a hot take that you maybe expected me to uh, to have. He does nothing. Probably. There is nothing he did wrong with regard to his family in this movie besides I, like I some, some light emotional cheating with Sandra Bullock's character. As far yeah, as like the her cheating on your wife thing. He does bad. nothing wrong in those television no. appearances and like she's blaming him for there's crosses burning on her lawn and no that that's that's all Ashley Judd's problems. He he does nothing yep. wrong in taking well, and this case. Well the thing case, is Ashley Judd can do better, which is what I think she's struggling with is she knows that she could clearly do a lot better. So go do better. There are <laughs> There's a line Don't around the block. Go do better, <laughs> Ashley. But no, I agree with you. He doesn't do anything wrong. Like his job didn't do anything wrong mm -hmm. uh, for his family. That's important. You know, there's a lot of things that we do that... You know, you don't want clients or anybody else to kind of know a lot about your private life. And a lot of it's for reasons like that. Now, in small towns, that's going to be damn near impossible. Right. Yeah. But no, I agree with you. All right. Okay. I didn't mean to cool that take down, but I do agree with you. Now we have a scene where Samuel L. Jackson, Carly, goes the sheriff. You know, the sheriff that beat the shit out of the two guys. He brings the assailant to visit the victim. At the hospital, the police officer that he shot the leg off of, wearing a sheriff's outfit with yep. no restraints whatsoever, the son of this cop gives the performance of a lifetime, standing <laughs> up being like, no, you shouldn't be here. Let me at him. And then the sheriff handles the, I don't know, 12-year-old boy in the hallway and then just lets Samuel L. Jackson who just shot this guy in the leg, walk into the hospital room alone to wake him yeah. up. Can you imagine? The guy that just shot you shakes you awake. He didn't. He said hi. <laughs> he said hi or something. In in a sheriff's outfit. Can you imagine? Would, you know that Chris Cooper is on some painkillers. Mm-hmm. Might be messing with the head already, and you just wake up and you see the guy that shot you dressed as a cop. I mean, that would shake me to my core. When I when he later gives his testimony, I think I would be like, I didn't think we should send Carly to jail, but he did this like inception sort of body swapping crazy yeah. attack on me in the hospital. You could probably send him to jail now. He says the that. line, no matter what gets said in court, I knew what I was doing. And I never meant to hurt you, just them two boys. To a cop that he that's, shot. That's called an admission. That's going to get that. I think it's called a confession. I'm going to take you a little, <laughs> little slight step further. My God. All right. So my hope is everybody's wearing a wire. There's a recording. Like, this is all set up. Chris Cooper knows he's coming. The sheriff's in on it. You know, like, he's like, I'm going to let him go into the room. We're going to record it. No, 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 no. That's not what's going on. No, we're trying. We're actually trying to help Carl Lee, the murderer. <laughs> the murderer. Uh, I don't disagree with the two decedents being dead. Uh, but no. But it's still murder. It is murder. 
most of this movie, I'm a big Carl Lee guy. Yeah. Um, I think he's I think he's smarter than most of the lawyers in the movie. But this is something. Uh, here, here's a tip that I'm just going to give any clients or, or people out there that may eventually need legal assistance. If you go and do what Carl Lee did that night, you need to tell your attorney that that happened. Oh, yeah. Meaning going to the hospital and confessing the crime to the victim slash cop. Yes. Yes, that you is should. That is information as your attorney they would need to know. Additionally, if you were the sheriff that did that, you should also find an attorney and tell them what you did because mm-hmm. you are getting fired and probably charged with a crime. You are in much trouble. You are in big, big trouble. So now we get a section of the movie where the NAACP is a villain. Um, Because <laughs> they come to town and want to represent Carly and they like raise money and say, and the church says it's going to go to his family, but really it's just going to go to the NAACP. And then they, they're like, no, Jake's my lawyer. Go to hell, NAACP. So that's kind of a cute little storyline where they are uh, the bad guy. Felt like an unnecessary attack to take both the NAACP and the local church out for a ride. <laughs> yes. Just so Jake Bergantz can be, be our glistening hero. Yeah, the as though he wasn't going to be anyway. <laughs> right. Right. This movie takes a hard stance against Southern black churches <laughs> and the NAACP in favor of the country good old boy white lawyer. They wanted to uncover the dirty truth and conspiratorial (laughs) and fraudulent nature of small, local African-American churches. Yeah, yeah. Thank Um, God. Yep. That we have, we now know the truth. Yeah. um, Fucking ridiculous. Again, not without its thematic issues, uh, Time to Kill. But again, excellent movie, Fight Me. Um, Okay. All right, the law firm isn't doing great. He's not getting paid. Eventually, they figure out a way where, like, the money from the NAACP then goes to pay Jake, um, which was an interesting scheme that they set up. But, like, he's not getting paid by his client. He's basically doing this pro bono. His law firm is failing. Like, I think at this point where his house is, like, getting bombed, where, like, there's crosses burning in his yard, he's getting death threats, like, Jake might have a personal conflict with this case. At some point, yeah, I think Jake might need to withdraw, do, do, it, even the financial issues. Yeah, I, I wanted to get into that a little bit. As a solo practitioner, it's one of the things I hate the most about my job. I know you, you and I have had conversations about this a million times. I hate having to charge people to do my job. I really do. But I have to. Yeah. Private attorneys have to charge money, and it sucks. Because sometimes you have somebody that you think you can help, but... <laughs> you you have to make a living. That's yeah. not a hobby. And so, you know, Jake saying, I will take a capital murder case where literally the administrative fees, and I'm talking copies, right. faxes, uh, electricity, rent, whatever, are going to be more than the 5000 that he's going to get paid on the case. Right. 10000 or whatever it's going to be. He asked for ten, and he gets, I think, 900 bucks or something like that out of his claim. Right. So, which right. is, a, yeah. there's a disparity there. Yeah, it is, it's, it's, we're not close. We're not close. Now I'm starting to understand uh, why he doesn't have air conditioning. <laughs> but he's, you know, he quotes him. He's like, ah, probably $50,000 for a capital murder case. Right. Which maybe in the early 90s for a small solo practitioner. Yeah, I had to town. walk that back a little bit too. But I think that maybe was right. Maybe. And for his experience, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. Um, I can tell you right now, depending on where you are, that probably ranges from... Uh, 
to $250,000 to seven figures. Yeah. Um, and it's I an mean, excruciating amount of work. And he's he's got no one to work with him. He's going to have to spend 24 hours a day on this case because he doesn't have anybody to help him with it. Um, and he's not qualified to take it. If he were a public defender, he would not be assigned that he would need to be death qualified. No. Um, in any state, yeah. there are certain qualifications you have to hit to be assigned a capital murder case. Um, I was the capital murder person for my region when I was in the army. Like they have okay. to assign you to do that and send you out to trainings and stuff so that you can be quote death qualified. Um, and it's a thing. If you're a private attorney, people can hire you whether you're, you know, L Woods or or this guy. But like he right. is v- not qualified to take this case. Yeah. Well, and, and honestly, what he should do, and, and I did this when I was a first year. Uh, attorney and you know there's some people I guess that are maybe uh, more uh, willing to take chances than I am but I had a case that came in that was I knew over my skis not just from an administrative standpoint because my business was not you know it was just getting off the ground I mean Mm -hmm. I was you know just being able to handle the paper Mm -hmm. becomes (laughs) a lot of work where you have a case that comes in and then you know I partnered with a colleague of mine to say, hey, do you want to share this case? You mm-hmm. know, somebody who had been working for decades. And so we do it that way. No, I was thankful that no capital cases came up while I was assigned to that job in that region. Like, I would go around and help other people on their capital cases and, like, help do some research and stuff. But I never was in charge of one, which I was very um, happy about. <laughs> because right. it is it is a lot of work and a <laughs> lot of emotional work. Oh, and a lot of pressure. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So I've been lucky enough to do some appeals and you look up briefs and every single capital murder brief, death penalty brief is 300 pages Oh, long. yeah. I mean, I I, I, I love so being able to work on cases where I could be like, yeah, send it to me. I'll take a look at it and not have that like crushing weight of like, I have to write this <laughs> on my shoulders. So um, right. I had the best of both worlds there. Okay. All right. So now we go to the judge's house. Um the beautiful judge's mansion with uh, the yes. servants in it, um, air conditioned, of course, while the judge makes a tiny, teeny, tiny oil painting of a house. And <laughs> we have an ex parte meeting, which means you're alone with the judge, which you need very, very special permission to ever be alone with a judge in any situation. Like if you accidentally yes. send an email to a judge and leave everybody else out, it's like, it's, it's a terrifying feeling. <laughs> Oh, you call the but, clerk immediately, and yeah. you're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so that sorry. I didn't mean to. I, I meant to put everybody in the CC line. I didn't mean to email the judge alone. We didn't have any conversations, yeah. I promise. Let me put it on the record. Um, this this is like the worst. I think I think this is the most egregious thing. Uh, so he goes to well, the judge's house. The yeah, judge you typically says, don't get a judge, from a, a judge call you to say, come out to the house. That doesn't no, happen all the time. No, not a lot. Judge says, I agree with you, but I did, in fact, deny your motion, um, which is a great thing to hear from a judge when you're all alone in a room with yep. him. Um, he already spoke to the Supreme Court about not overturning it, so don't even worry about that appeal. Please don't file it, which is another great thing to hear from a judge when a recording device is not on. Um, and then uh, the judge discourages him from continuing to represent his client, which is great. You, should, yep. you ought to just quit, Jake. Just quit. <laughs> Just quit the trial. Great. Um, and then the judge offers him a plea deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And says he can, the, Buckley, the DA, will accept a plea. Judge can't offer 
my brain doesn't even work. Judge not offer plea deal. Like you can't uh, do I, it. I will say in California, I settle a lot of cases with judges. Judges alone offers. at their house while they make little painting. Usually over pancakes. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. No, but not without the DA. No. It's in judges' chambers. You like you're having a discussion meeting. and you say, "Judge, would you like to make an offer?" It is not a judge who has clearly broken every ethical rule. Probably called Buckley and said, "Hey, I'm well, gonna, yeah. if he if he gives you manslaughter for twenty, you take that. We, yeah. we want to get rid of this case. This is this case is a bomb, and we don't want it to go. Literally, off. there are bombs involved. Yes. Um, between the last time we talked about a scene and now, McConaughey's house was bombed, and a police officer handed the bomb to the guy who set the bomb and said, defuse it, please. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't hand Don't do that. The no. person who set the mm-hmm. bomb wants the bomb to go off. Don't ask them to defuse it. They're they're pro-bomb. They're pro-bomb exploding. They're not going to defuse yes. it. Anyway, sorry, tangent. Um, <laughs> but uh, definitely he's talked to Buckley offline as well. He's he's had an ex parte conversation with Buckley, and now he's doing it with the defense. Don't – oh, my God, this is like the worst judge in the world. No, it's it, absolutely terrible. Definitely a leader in our nominations for most unethical thing uh, yeah. in the movie. All right. Then the uh, KKK – But he does mention he's like, hey, manslaughter 20 years. Yeah. Great so deal. manslaughter – there's a there's a reasonable discussion that what Carl Lee did was manslaughter. There's an argument to be had. Yeah. Uh, and that's the heat of passion. We've talked about that earlier. And, you know, heat of passion, it's just an excuse. It's like there's things called justifiable homicide. Heat of passion is not justifiable homicide. No. That's things like self-defense, mm-hmm. okay? Or someone breaks into your house and you kill them. Like those are things that are justifiable homicides, which is a complete defense. That's a not guilty murder. defense. To murder. That's a not guilty, yeah. That that is an excusable right. killing. Whereas heat of passion just makes murder a manslaughter. It's a mitigating factor in the the murder that actually happened, but they say no, okay, it's just a manslaughter, which here in California can be a misdemeanor, which you can get up to a year for, or mm-hmm. it can be we have triads here, so low term three years, midterm six years, uh, top out at eleven. In Mississippi It's actually specifically called a felony, but it is punishable by up to a year in county jail or two to 20 years in the pen. Yeah, I was going to say, right before we came on, I was telling you about a case where a client of mine did 35 years for a a double manslaughter. So, you know, there's a range of of punishments. (laughs) There's a lot that can happen. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that ends... Um, secretary's husband gets murdered. That's another maybe basis for a change of venue, Jake. Um, yeah, Jake, you can keep raising your hand on that. Yeah. Um, I think we're through. Now that we're at this point, although we've done some of the trial, though. can We We got to talk about some of the in-court shenanigans. Yes. Well, we're we're at court now. Um, we're talking okay. about voir dire. We're talking about the... Uh, the, the jury. We've hired Roark um, mostly because he yep. wants to find out if, if he can keep the photos of the dead rapists out of court. Google it, Jake. But yeah. whatever. Anyway, we're here. We're doing jury challenges. you have anything to say about any of these uh, jury challenges? <laughs> First of all, just A, not how that goes, okay? Um, you mean it's not whispered to the judge in front of the jury while they're sitting there staring at you? <laughs> no, that is definitely not how that goes. Now, uh, for cause, there are two types of challenges. For cause, which there are reasons that somebody can be excused from the jury that do not go against your peremptory number. So you have a set number of peremptory challenges. 
In a life case like this in California, we would get 20. Uh, the state then would get 20. And you can basically strike those people for, you don't have to explain. Now, there's a law in California I'm not going to waste our time with right now that has significantly restricted our ability to exercise peremptory challenges. Just started, just passed and started, you know, 20 days ago now. But essentially, you can just say, I would like to thank and excuse juror number 131. You mm -hmm. don't say why. You just do it. Yep. And that's that. Looked at me weird. Uh, if, didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. Didn't like it. Uh, if there's a pattern where you are clearly discriminating against people by race, religion, sex, any sort of protected class, that's a Batson problem. Mm -hmm. uh, U.S. Supreme Court said we can't do that. So, so when Spacey says jurors 5, 7, 8, and 12, I would like them to leave, and they all stand up and they're all black, Yep. do you think that that's McConaughey maybe should have said something in that moment? <laughs> That's a Batson. That's a Batson motion. But I will say, so I looked this up because I was like, when was Batson, right? Yeah, I guess because it's always been the law since we've been lawyers. I've just I uh, to me forever. I assumed Batson was like a civil rights era case. There's a great podcast that know. tells the story of Batson and like how how the actual case that it came out of and how it happened. It's really interesting, and I'll try to figure it. We'll tweet it or something. But I always thought it was like a civil rights era case, and it, it is a right. 1988. Supreme Court decision. Right. This book was published in 1989. So I have a feeling Grisham wrote this book before Batson actually came down. That's fair. Because, that you that know, could be. writing a book is different than publishing a book. You got a lag there. Right. So I have a feeling that this happened in the book with no Batson challenges, and that was completely accurate, and then it made it into the movie in 1996. I'm going to give, because that was one of my big gripes, but I'm going to go ahead and give the pass. Yeah. Excellent work. Yeah, I'm going to give the pass on that. I found it in the Westlaw database, if you can believe it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, shout out Lexus. And by the way, if either Lexus or Westlaw wants to sponsor this pod, we're here oh, for yeah, it. Oh, yeah, we're here. But yeah, I, I was really bothered by the fact that this case is so clearly racially sort of charged. Mm -hmm. And they make a big deal out of it. And then, like you said, the first four people that get excused are all African-American. You're like, um, we can't have this whole movie be about this. Well, they specifically say we don't want when they're meeting about the voir dire and what kind of jury they want. They specifically say we want young dads if we can find them, people that would go out and do this if right. this happened to their daughter. What we don't want is we don't want rednecks. We don't want women <laughs> and we don't mm -hmm. want old guys if we can help it. And right. they end up with an entire jury of rednecks, women and old guys. And when McConaughey sits down, Carly turns to him and says, that's supposed to be the jury of my peers. And it's kind of like, well, that's how law works in the United States. There's nothing we can do about it. And I was like, God, that's strange. Although I did like, I'm glad you brought up sort of the voir dire um, tri preparation, trial mm -hmm. preparation, because those conversations do happen. Like oh, yeah. what kind of a juror do we want? And that kind of gets skipped, I think, a lot. Uh, in movies because it's boring it's hard to explain and you know I, i'm not giving movies shit for not doing it but this one did it and they sort of did it right i mean it's vague and you're not you know i've never had a conversation where i'm like we don't want women or we don't want african americans mm -hmm. or we don't want you know uh catholics or whatever it is but you do have like okay i want a young dad or i want mm -hmm. somebody who's got a young daughter you know if we can suss that information out like those are the you know you try to sort of play the stereotype game as to who might be sympathetic. sympathetic to my guy. Yeah. And frankly, as a defense attorney in a lot of cases, like, yes, Jake wants an NG. We all always mm -hmm. want an NG. But really, you're looking for one. I'm yeah. looking for one person. One if person. If I get one. Yep. That'll hang it. 
and then it gets sent back to the DA, and they can decide what they want to do do with it from there. Yep. But if you can hang a lot of these, because juries are, are sort of prescribed to convict. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can give all the instructions you want, but juries sit in the box, and they look at the defendant, and they go, why else would they be sitting there if they didn't do something wrong? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it's, it's usually profession-based or experience-based. Like, say you have an animal cruelty case. You don't want somebody, you don't want a dog lover on the jury, so you're going right. to ask those questions. Um, if you've got a really science-heavy case, you do not want a scientist on the jury because they're going to be like, mm-hmm. well, in my opinion, the science is blah, blah, blah. And like, so you want them to trust the scientists you're putting on the stand. You don't want them supplanting their right. own experience. It's that kind of thing. It's usually yeah. profession-based, family-based, that kind of stuff. Anyway. Like, I know I, I, know I had a, an attempted murder case where there was a bar fight. And it was like, man, we want to stack the bar with people who seem like they've seen some bar fights in their day. Mm-hmm. Like, that was literally on our notes. Like, let's try to find some people who wouldn't be afraid of yeah. this fight they're going to watch on the video. Yep. yep. So you start you start looking at people who look like, and, and frankly, I'm sorry, that is how you do it. Like, uh, that guy looks like he's been around the block. It feels like And you can he's ask him. That's what's great about Bordier. You ever been in a fight? Like, I feel like you can yeah. ask that question. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway. Okay. Uh, okay, so we get we get some we get some really sweaty close up face action with Sandra Bullock. I'm gonna Very go ahead and, and 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 skip it. Uh, her hotel also no <laughs> no air conditioning to be found. No air conditioning in the restaurant. No air conditioning yeah. in the cars. No air conditioning in the the hotel room. He comes Just... home. His whole house is burned down with yep. his dog inside. Maybe ask to reconsider. Maybe ask for a continuance because trial is tomorrow. Um, He doesn't. uh, He doesn't ask for a change of venue or a continuance. Now the National Guard is here. Now it's a whole whole thing now. We've got mobs. We've got riots. We've got National Guard. we've We've got cops that are in the KKK. We've got all kinds of stuff happening. And we've got Matthew McConaughey, all sad and dirty, just sifting through the rubble of his life, just covered in ashes. His friend Ollie comes up. He's just sitting on the rubble of his house, and he's crying. And Ollie comes up, and he says, I'm looking for my dog. Oh, my God. It was heart-wrenching. Yeah, I had to look look at Jess and be like, I can't remember. They're not going to John Wick me, right? Like, they didn't start John Wicking until the last few years, like, that dog's coming back. Oh god, that dog finally did come back. It was, but it was a, it was a rough four to five. minutes. It's a rough there. two minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Don't worry, the dog was fine. Um, it's the trial. We can hear people yelling "Fry Carly" outside the uh, window of the trial within earshot of the jury. That's great. That's a mistrial. Uh, first witness for the prosecution is the victim's mom. He asks her only sentencing questions, no fact questions whatsoever, even though she did witness the murder. Um, and then Matthew McConaughey asks some great questions, uh, like how many other children did your son kidnap and how many other children did your son rape? Which is a mistrial. Yeah. (laughs) That is a mistrial. (laughs) That's a mistrial. Um, I also want to talk about the withdrawn question bullshit that we see a lot in movies. Yeah. So guys, withdrawn. <laughs> you know what you don't get to do? Withdraw question. So this is how this is how this works. You have a bunch of evidence you want to get in. One yeah. of the things that you want to get into evidence in this case is why those two victims were in court that day. Mhm. 
right? You want that information to come out that they were not in court just because they had been charged with a crime, but you want to know what crime they had been charged with. Mm-hmm. And so you got to sit and think about how do I get this piece of information in? You're not going to get it in through the mom. No. No, don't go after, no matter what case you have, you don't go after the victim's mom. That is always going to be a mistake. Always. There's no exceptions to that. So what he does is he asks a thoroughly inappropriate question with no foundation whatsoever. A, it's a mistrial. B, you're getting sanctioned. C, you're getting in trouble from the bar probably. Um, But also he does this a lot through the next like 30 minutes of ask a question like this. You know, how many times did this person get... Did, did your son rape and try to kill somebody? Withdrawn. Yeah. Okay. No. That will get you in so much fucking trouble. <laughs> yeah. You're not allowed to like look at a victim or look at a witness and say, so you were arrested for rape in 1978, right? Withdrawn. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, you, you get in a hell of a lot of trouble for that. You're not allowed to do And movies and TV shows love that shit. <laughs> I was in a uh, a rape case. I was observing. I was in the gallery for this, and I saw somebody ask a defense sentencing witness if he had a sister. And I thought, I thought that judge was going to light that guy on fire. Like <laughs> the the mood, cha- it was like, sit down, counsel. Like he didn't he didn't wait for an objection. It was the quickest, like, nope, jury leave. Like we are done here. Shut it down. That I've ever yep. seen. Yeah, there's. I mean, I feel bad. I, one thing I fall into is, you know, you're asking one question, but you're thinking about how you want to set up because you, you know you you script out to a certain degree the questions that you want to ask people. Uh, apparently, Matthew McConaughey doesn't because no notes whatsoever. No I, preparation. Just drinking with Roak is, he is does the it preparation. Live. He just does it live. It's all up here. It's all up here. Uh, he doesn't need it. Are you going to be able to handle the next half hour of this podcast? Are you going to? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm better than fine. Okay. I'm great. <laughs> so uh, you sketch it out or whatever, but sometimes, you know, an answer leads you down a path and you might be thinking of something. So occasionally I'll ask a question and have to stop and be like, uh, you know what, Your Honor, I'm sorry. That's a bad question. Let me re-ask that. <laughs> because mm-hmm. you just... You sort of either ask a combo, you know, a combo question, or you you just ask something that sort of after you hear it didn't quite make sense. That is different than let me shout out a bunch of information I want to salute the jury and then just say withdraw. Mm-hmm. My question is withdraw. Mm-hmm. Just bad form. Bad fucking. All right. So the next witness, the DA picks up the uh, gun with his bare hands, does a little runs the runs the action on it. <laughs> loads yeah, it it that. seems like <laughs> like it's nuts gloves it's kind Kev. of off camera gloves. but you hear some stuff rattle it around in that gun like it might be loaded which is rough um then introduces I thought he was gonna it. fire it i thought he would have fired at the ceiling <laughs> it really like you hear like a chunk um, and be like isn't that scary yeah <laughs> yeah Jesus. it is scary we are terrified we the jury <laughs> um <clears throat> Okay, so who I, who's even on the stand when he does that? It must be the sheriff. It's the, no, yeah. it's, it's Chris Cooper, right? No, no, it's the, sheriff. It the sheriff. It's the sheriff, the okay. the one that took what's his name because because McConaughey again asks a really astoundingly terrible lawyering here asks oh, did did those court. boys sign a confession to this sheriff? Yeah. It's objected to. That objection is sustained by the judge. I again can't believe there's not a mistrial and then 
the witness shouts, yes, they did, even though he's been instructed to not answer the question by the judge. Doubling down on that mistrial sentiment that I had <laughs> that I had earlier. And again, he, he's trying to prove that these guys did it. He's trying to prove that these two guys were rapists. And it doesn't matter if those two guys were rapists for his case. What matters no. is whether his client thought that those two guys raped his daughter. Like whether they did or not is not yeah, actually it, relevant. That's one thing I wanted to talk to you about because I think this is a really interesting question. And I thought about this ever since we said we were going to do this movie, which is you have to bring out that these guys were charged Mm -hmm. with the rape and attempted murder of Carly's daughter. Mm -hmm. But you also need to bring out what Carly was doing. Now, Carly's going to testify in this case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, at least he should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously, he ends up doing it. That's not a mistake. Sometimes it's a mistake to put your client on. In this case, he, he kind of has to because right. it's why did you do the it's damn state thing? state of mind. He doesn't ask so him any gonna... state of mind questions, of course, but that's... Yeah, <laughs> right. You got to get his there. state of mind out there. But I also wanted to ask you, how would you have gone about getting out the fact they were actually charged with those crimes? Because I, I do think that helps your case. I think you do it through through Carly. Like, I think if you try to go with the the cops and say, what were you arresting them for? Why were they there at court that day? I think you run into some murky waters. I think you're going to get objected to. I think it's going to be kind of a, a mess. I think if you call your client and say, what did you know? What was in your mind about these guys at that time? You can get it all out through him as far as what his perception of the situation was. This is how my daughter came home that day. This is what she looked like when I put her in the hospital. This is what, you know, I, I think for his state of mind, you can get every statement she made to him out um, sure. about what happened to her. So you can basically get her testimony out without calling her to the stand or any, you know, like without right. any kind of statement from from her or the cops or the hospital. So I think just for his motive and his state of mind, every single thing that he knew about this situation becomes relevant. So I would get it out through him. And hope he's a good witness. So I agree with that with respect to state of mind. And I'm sure some of you out there are listening and going, but that's hearsay. It's hearsay. It's hearsay. And hearsay is inadmissible. So hearsay is an out-of-court statement offered for the truth of the matter asserted. And when we're talking about state of mind, that doesn't go to the truth of the matter asserted. It just goes to his state of mind. What I was saying earlier, it doesn't matter if they did it. It matters if you thought they did it. Right. Exactly. And so that becomes an admissible statement by Carly because he's not saying they did it. Like you said, it's just that this is what I thought. And that's what we care about in this case. I think, and I thought about this and I, I a hundred percent agree with you. That's what I would do with Carly. And I, I really wouldn't want to put it on through the cops. I think what I would probably end up doing though, to at least get the fact that the state of Mississippi thought mm-hmm. that they did it, had probable cause that they did it because they had an indictment. They charged them with those crimes. I think I would probably just ask the court to take judicial notice of the court record, of the document, Mm -hmm. of the charging document that they had. And that way, I'm not worried about fumbling around with the cops and asking them, you know, what did you charge him with? What did you arrest him with? What did you do this and that? I think it would just be, here's judicial notice. Here's the charging document. And the court's not going to redact that document, the the actual charging document. I feel like the state, I I think that they might, I think they would likely lose, but I think the state has a colorable objection to to the relevance of that. Like whether they were actually charged is not necessarily relevant to to Carly's motive. I totally agree with you. you I just think that's the only way to get it in. And I think that that's probably a judge lets it in maybe not this judge 
I guess. Mm-hmm. But Carly had to know that he would that they would be in the court at that time for some reason. So I think you can ask him, how'd you know they were going to be there? Because I knew that they were going to have their arraignment that day for raping right. my daughter. So, I, you know, I think I don't know. I don't know if I would do the judicial notice. I think it's a good idea, though. And you get most of it out through I, the shrink, too. Right. No, I, like I said, I, I just think I think there is some evidentiary value to trying to get the state's document in. And that's one thing that the movies make look really, really simple that I would spend hours thinking about doing. Like, yeah. how is the best way to get that information in? Which, you know, we're jumping forward, but I don't think we're going to spend too much time on this alcoholic shitty fucking uh (laughs) scientific expert no yeah no i have nothing on that and by the way this is why when you call experts or you call any witnesses you do background checks on them to see if they have any convictions uh but he's like hey it's statutory rape isn't this true that you did this he's like no i didn't he then just has a folder (laughs) he says there's pictures in here of a young girl and plea agreement and blah 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 i'd like to put this in as people's exhibit whatever and blah 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 Okay, no foundation on any of that shit. <laughs> you can't just put pictures in without laying proper foundation. You mm-hmm. don't just get to hand documents to a judge. No. And say, there's all the evidence. There blah, it blah, is. Blah. Just bad lawyering. Bad all lawyering. All right. Also, the jury is having dinner together all together at one table every night and quietly voting um, every night, which I get as a uh, dramatic device. But again, that would cause a mistrial. Well, but they were sequestered. Yeah. They're, they're talking so they would, about, they're voting every night at the table. No, that part, I, I'm sorry, I thought you were just talking about them eating dinner together. No, I'm saying they're all me. eating dinner okay. together, and then at that dinner, they're like having little Yeah, like, that's total fucking mistrial. Total I liked it as a dramatic device, though, because it shows us that they're all voting for guilty before McConaughey gets up and go, does that closing. Like, it shows, right. like, okay, this is all on the line now, like, this is your Hail Mary, you know? Well, and I think this is something that's interesting coming from the lawyer standpoint, because absent, I think, really bad lawyering, you or I are never going to be on a jury. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. No. Um, so I'll be honest. I don't know what happens in the jury rooms. I can't give you any experience. I know what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. I know how it is legally to work. But I also sit there and think, like, there's no way these jurors, the closer we get to the end of the trial... I'm not, maybe not necessarily sitting down as a group of 12 and voting, but they're little cliques. Mm-hmm. And you can tell which jurors like hang out because they'll walk to lunch together or they'll come back together or they'll sit by each other and chit chat. They're talking about the case. Yeah, like, 100%. I just, you just kind of inherently know it. I'm always fascinated in movies because I have been asked by people that are like, is that, is that how it really works? I'm like, I have no idea and I'm never going to get to know mm-hmm. because once you're a lawyer, you ain't getting picked as a juror. No. It's just not happening. Nope. And you so, can, in the civilian any, world, you can pull the jury, but they're not going to tell you what they actually talked about in there. No. Well, and uh, by the way, if any of you guys out there have been jurors and would like to tell me what that experience is like. Yeah, I'd really like to know. Um, yeah, fire I'd away. Love to be on a I'm jury. always wildly curious. And we can talk to the jury after the case, and we try to talk to jurors, but only one or two mm-hmm. will, they don't you know, stay back. And they don't want to get the hell out of there. Yeah. They've been there for two and a half weeks, and they, they don't want to talk to you. Um, and I don't blame him. The judge I worked for in criminal court got called for jury duty in another section of court in New Orleans, which was really funny. Um, arguably the most <laughs> qualified guy to sit on the jury by far uh, did not make that jury, if you can believe it. No. Uh, but he did no. He did have to sit down in the, the jury room for a whole week. He decided not to get out of it, which was really funny to me. Anyway, okay. Um, all right. So we got Sandra Bullock, Rourke, 
going to the the psychiatrist's office and stealing stuff out of there. Just so you know, all of that stuff as far as how many times an expert has testified in a case and how many times they've testified for the prosecution and for the defense and whether that's even and whether they're biased and all of that kind of stuff. That's stuff that comes out before you don't have to go to their office and steal that information. Those questions are fair game. Those answers should be in their CV, maybe even. Um, the, right. And, those and are you things would you know. know what cases they've done. Mm-hmm. And you could look up those cases. You could talk to. Yeah. But again, it's all compressed because we're going to trial in three weeks. Experts are fairly heavily vetted. If yeah. I have an expert, I have to give a full report, um, their opinion, their CV and everything to the people 30 days before trial. Right. So they've got at a minute, usually I give it to them far in advance of that, but they have plenty of time to vet my guy. And on my, I have plenty of time to vet theirs. Yes. Like that's. Yeah. Th- that was crazy. She did not have to break into that person's house or uh, office. That was nuts. And now comes my very favorite part of this trial. That is Chris mm-hmm. Cooper. One legged Chris Cooper's testifying. He's the cop. And Kevin Spacey asks him, did you get a look at the guy who shot you? And Officer One Leg says, no, I did not get a look at him. <laughs> and you can see McConaughey's like, yes, win. As if 100,000 other people in that courtroom did not see who it who Yeah, was. as if his defense is, it wasn't me. Yeah, it, it was a different guy that looked like Mike. It was his brother or whatever. <laughs> Then the guy says, but he did come to my hospital room and apologize to me personally for shooting me in the leg and told me he knew what he was doing. Not crazy. Um, And the look on McConaughey's face is so (laughs) fucking funny. He first, like, just his, his head just swings around to Carly like, are you fucking kidding me? Then it goes to Spacey who goes, Oh, <laughs> and like just this <laughs> perfect smile of like, oh, really? And then you go back to McConaughey and he just kind of puts his hand up and turns his head to the side as if I'm not with this guy. Like this guy, and yeah. my, my client and I were not friends. In case the jury was wondering, I didn't know shit about this. This is a total surprise to me. I have the worst poker face in the world. Oh, I loved it. It was, we've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there. It may be the most accurate piece of this entire movie as far as legally accurate. Yes. Because the chipperness of Kevin Spacey is perfect. (laughs) I mean... Oh, well then. Let me just set these notes down right here, what I was going to ask you. And let's talk about this just a little bit more. This moment could have been a documentary, and I would have believed it. It was was perfect. And, like, I think we've all been there where witnesses testified and been like... Oh uh, yeah, the the predictable thing you thought I was going to say, but also uh, the that guy did try to bribe me. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking uh, about? Huh? We're like, yeah, she was my yeah, girlfriend was for five years. Yeah, what? just something. <laughs> yeah. I did have a photograph of the crime, though. Did you guys want to <laughs> see it? Like, there's always. Some you don't random... have all my text messages that I gave the people. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. I've been on this case for two years. You never told me there were text messages. <laughs> I gave a lot of exculpatory evidence to the government. Uh, <laughs> do you want to see that? Anyway. Um, but, but Carly then... comes through in the clutch there for, you know, monster assist because McConaughey's a bad lawyer. <laughs> He's like, hey, 
ask him some fucking questions. He wants to talk about our little midnight rendezvous. Yeah. Ask him some goddamn questions. But then he asks him the wrong questions. Like, he asks yeah. him, do you think he ought to be punished? Do you think he ought to go to jail? Which is something you cannot ask witnesses. That is a question for the jury and the jury alone. Right. Um What he could have said was, what else did my guy say? What else did he say during that conversation? Which is, you know, I I didn't intend to shoot you. Yeah. That's a great statement. Also, what did you say to him? He didn't say anything to him, right? I thought he said something to him. No, he just turned his head. Because I I wrote the note, uh, can you believe it? He's not very responsive to this apology (laughs) as he he has no fucking leg left. He's not. I thought you could ask him maybe like, what was your response? Like I nodded or whatever, or what did you think of it? Like, how do you feel about him sitting in that chair with your one leg? How do you feel about Carly is, is a totally, I think inbounds question. Absolutely. Um, It's an inbounds. Well, the, the, the people open the door with the testimony. Right. So it's, of course, an inbounds question. But should he go to jail is not. And he could probably have gotten no. the same he's a hero, turn him loose sort of, spirit of answer without saying should he go to jail. Because, you know, Chris Cooper yeah. just starts screaming he's a hero, turn him loose, send him home. Which, say it with us, everybody, would have led to a... Mistrial. 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 Um, okay. So we've got, you know, the, the, the psych people uh, go ahead and testify uh we already kind of talked about that yeah we'll do experts expert witnesses in a different episode this isn't a great episode for expert witnesses we've got a we've got a great uh we've got another uh horrible trigger warning scene where Rourke gets kidnapped by the kkk and uh strung up uh on a tree which is awful and also a continuity error because earlier when she's repairing matthew mcconaughey's butt which was slashed um, outside you, the courthouse. I, I knew you had skipped it, and I was like, she's not going to bring up Matthew McConaughey's butt, but you, you, no, always I'm the a, professional. No, I'm a professional. But, what, but it does come into play here because, you know, that National Guard member was shot outside the courthouse. They did run into the crowd to save the cops, even though he was the intended target. I don't know why, does Kiefer not have two bullets in that gun? He shoots the, right? the guard soldier, and then McConaughey runs in to, like, render first aid, and he doesn't, like... I don't know, shoot the intended person of his assassination attempt? I, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. He does get sliced. Are you saying Kiefer didn't do a job correctly? I'm shocked. <laughs> but then there's another thing where there's like a mob, like a riot, and he runs out of the courthouse to help the cops. Like, don't help the cops. You're, you're target number one, my man. Don't yeah. run into the... Anyway, he did, does get slashed did, did in the butt. Did you think the bullet was for the National Guardsman? <laughs> right. Anyway... Jake, he gets slashed in the butt, and she needs to render first aid to his butt. Um, he's not wearing underpants because his wife left, and she does the laundry, signaling he's just really a great guy. Um, mm-hmm. And she says, she makes the comment, don't worry, I also don't wear underwear, haven't worn them in years, which makes it kind of a sexually charged environment. However, when when she is attacked... In this situation, and they they rip some of her clothing off. Rourke is wearing underwear, which is a continuity error. So, it, well, it's it's either a continuity error or she was trying to be cool, girl. She are like, you saying oh. she was lying? What a tease! She could have been like, my god. If I need to not be wearing underwear, Th- this is a I no won't. underwear kind of guy. He doesn't wear underwear. I won't wear to, underwear. So I can have more in common with him. Maybe I'll say I don't too. And I'll be on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. It's the this greatest is... mystery of this film, in my in my opinion. <laughs> but I did appreciate the fact that Jake was like, I just got stabbed. Not 
cut, not nicked, fucking stabbed, sliced. Sliced. It was a deep cut. I know there's a hospital, because uh, Carl Lee went to one. So All I know it was a little sticky a on his butt. And I just don't think if that happened in court to me that I would run back to the office and be like, is anybody here in this office? He can't when afford to go to aid. a doctor. He can't even afford air conditioning. He has to let an unpaid intern slap a, a Band-Aid on his butt. Yeah. And at least she was able to get out. Nice butt. Yeah. She, she was at least able to give us the commentary we were all looking for. Yeah. I have a weird question. I know we're getting, we're getting long and we weren't going to talk about the experts, but it, it occurs to me. Carly went to Matthew McConaughey the night before he committed this crime and said, I'm premeditating. I'm considering rationally, as a reasonable person, killing two people tomorrow. Would you have my back? And informed sure. him of this, okay? Then McConaughey puts up an expert to testify that it was not premeditated, that he was out of his mind, that he had a mental defect. And this expert doesn't have that information, Right. And he knows the expert's testimony, I think, to be false based on the conversation that he had with his client the night before. Is that an ethical problem? I think that it is. I think so, too. I think it is. And, and I think, you know, the way that this gets handled is you've essentially, I think there's a larger ethical question here of whether he can actually represent Carl Lee. I think he can, but I don't think he can represent him and put up a he didn't know what he was doing defense anymore. But I don't know if he can represent him because he's a witness. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I know that's what you're saying, but I'm saying I'm I, I think it goes a step further mm-hmm. to say you can't effectively assist him if you're going to put up if you're not going to put up this defense, right? Mm-hmm. You have to put up that defense. Mhm. So, he's ineffectively assisting him if he doesn't. Right. Right. And he's unethically and potentially illegally representing him if he does without telling this person. And if he tells him, then, well, he's a witness to the case and be called. So I think we have a representation problem as a whole. I think it comes down to whether he represented him in that conversation as far as can can he represent him and can he put up that defense. Because if he represented him, it's a conversation. I don't know. But I think either way, he can't put on evidence that the thing he knows to be true is not true. Right. I agree with that 100%. Because he's, he's lying to the court in that situation. I, th- I think the representation question is a little bit more open. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you 100% that he is knowingly putting up a false expert. So if he didn't represent him during that first conversation, he's a witness. If he did, he's not a witness. Like that, that problem is solved if, if he represented him. Because it's privileged, right. but then then it creates a whole different issue, I think. Anyway, but then just, you, I, th- I think, a... then you're splitting the atom of prospective client is that representation? Right. Because again, I am bound by a privilege, even though I may not represent the person. So then, then it's that's a huge question. Like yeah. that's a big that's a big question. It's a mess. So, very smart. Very very uh very. I am smart. I'm smart. Pull there. Yeah. Oh, I know that. I was talking to myself. I'm sorry. That was a self affirmation. Oh, you were talking about you being smart. Yeah, I was just telling myself. Oh, that's different than what I was thinking. I was thinking about I'm smart. That's why this works. We're just all we're just always thinking about ourselves. That's why this partnership works. That is why this works. Okay, Um, okay. Um, Carly testifies, doesn't ask him one question about his state of mind. That sucks. By the way, it is obviously in the defense's case because uh, just so you guys know out there, the people can't call the defendant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because he has a right to remain silent. So then Spacey cross examines him. I thought that. 
all the prosecution questions were fine. Maybe not in the tone that they were being asked, but we've got McConaughey standing up and screaming, you can't ask that, you can't ask that, do not answer that question, Carly. I thought they were all fine. Yeah, I didn't have a problem. I mean, well, Car- I mean, the, the problem with it becomes, as Carl Lee continued to speak, he opened doors. Mm-hmm. And once doors are open, <laughs> information or questions that would not have been allowed to have been asked are now on the table. Right. So I think all of that was completely fair game. And yeah, maybe you've got an ob- objection argumentative or whatever, but I can quiet down and ask the question. Yeah, the, the tone's not great. I can change the tone. But like the whole, like, you wanted those boys to die sort of thing because you were mad at them because because you didn't think that the, the criminal justice system was going to do the right thing. It wasn't because you were out of yeah. your brain. It was because you thought about this and thought that they'd only go to jail for 10 years if they were even convicted, right? Like, that's the question. Yeah. That's the whole crux yeah. of the case. There's nothing wrong with asking that. Yeah, you wanted them to die, right? <laughs> You yeah. came there with a gun, correct? Yeah, that's what You came there with a gun because you were going to use it, right? Is. Yeah. When you came out, you used it. You fired it at these guys. You wanted them to die, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Like, those are four totally fair questions. Yeah. All right. So then <clears throat> Jake has this conversation with his client in the jail where his client's talking about, we're not friends. You're not like me. You're one of the bad guys. You need to make this jury. You need to imagine that this jury is you, basically. You're one of these people right. who doesn't see me as a human being. It doesn't see me as a man, sees me as a black man. That gets Jake thinking. And then and I'm actually, I was actually happy though that we finally got to that point at like, because we had done so much trashing of the African American community and the structure and everything. I'm mm-hmm. like, is somebody finally going to say that Jake is fucking racist yeah. to a certain degree? <laughs> yeah. Finally? Yeah. Some of the, some of the things in those riot scenes were real rough you know the kid who throws the molotov cocktail off the roof in the from yeah. the court and so, oh we didn't even talk about this there's a kid that lights a molotov cocktail off the ceiling the the roof of the court and like lights the grand dragon of the kkk on fire and murders him the dad from that 70s show kurtwood whatever Kurt his name yeah absolutely um that kid then it zooms out that kid threw that molotov cocktail like a mile like roughly oh he's got a cannon a mile Straight did cannon. you notice that yep Insane. Oh, unbelievable talent. Anyway, a lot of violence that doesn't... It, it's just... You guys, some of this movie is just not a great look. Anyway. No. He has this conversation. It gets Jake thinking. Then we have this closing argument. I thought Spacey's closing argument was great. It was. Yeah. I thought Spacey's he did Spacey's was job. great, and McConaughey's was absolute shit. <laughs> Fight. Tell me I'm wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll just posit that theory. Tell me I'm wrong. Beautiful perfectly executed I, did, I didn't say it wasn't adorable i didn't say it didn't look oh my gosh nice. it was blinding it was so sweaty it was so sweaty <laughs> it was so sweaty like i'm lucky though that i've never practiced i've never had a trial where i've been so hot i've had so cold trials i've never had a so hot trial oh man Have you had a, ho- a so hot trial i went down for heat exhaustion in a trial is that what you're getting at are you uh poking no me to tell i was curious I, I was i had a trial where what side was I even on in that thing? I was I was the prosecutor, and um, my friend Allison was the defense, and she actually went down. She passed out uh, from from heat, and I uh, I was throwing up. Like I wasn't feeling well. Um, Good lord! Yeah, it was a situation. We were in Fairbanks, which they were getting about uh, fifty below at night 
there. Um, we were actually trapped in Fairbanks for about a week because it didn't get warmer than negative 40, which is what it needs to be there for planes to take off because that's the temperature at which jet fuel freezes. And before any of you Siberians sure. are like, our planes take off at negative 70, you got to put the plane in a coat if you're going to do that. And I guess the tiny Fairbanks airport doesn't have that kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, it's got to be warmer than negative 40 to fly home. So it was really cold at night. And the way that this courthouse or uh, building where the courthouse was worked was they cranked the heat to high all night long to keep the pipes and stuff from freezing. And then it became like a tolerable 70 degrees during the day. Then it had like regular heat during the day. So they pumped the heat up in this building to like 100 degrees, like a hot yoga room at night. And we were going to like midnight, 1 a.m. every night because we were trying to get this trial done. Um and man, it was just, it was hor- we're in these wool military uniforms. It was horrible. Oh my horrible. god, I wouldn't even be able to think straight. No, I like, there's it just was, no way. It was awful. It was I felt I was so sick. Every recess I was going to like throw up. Like I got to the point where I like couldn't drink water. I was so sick. Which is like that's the part where your brain's like dying or whatever, I think, from yeah. Yeah, when you're no, so dehydrated good. and, you, are and being like, you have heat stroke or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she passed out. I was, you know, stronger and the, stuff, so I didn't pass out. Like summer trial where I'm wearing as like my thickest suit. Uh-huh. In like I'm outside and miserable, but then I get in the courtroom and it's fifty nine degrees or something. Oh, God, I've had that, worst, but I've yeah. never had the uncomfortably hot. <clears throat> anyway, okay. So but McConaughey, sweaty, <sighs> closing argument. I'm young I and I'm inexperienced problem, and don't have you ha- I hate it when a defense attorney does this, just sets it up for an ineffective assistance situation to get i hate it i hate it when they throw up the like i'm a bad lawyer your honor i'm i'm please don't hold it against my client that i'm so bad at what i do oh you see it all the time it's the worst yeah i mean i've never done it and i don't watch a lot of defense attorneys close but yeah i know i've seen it happen so many times this is a great closing argument if you're the prosecutor in a rape case (laughs) yeah yeah I mean, you can't you can't ask a jury to close their eyes and imagine things. That's an objection. But generally, telling this story would be great. Again, if you were the prosecutor in a rape case, has very yeah. little to do with his defense of his client. But he wins by jury nullification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 I do want to just clear up a couple things. Just again, procedurally. Sorry, I'm procedural guy in this episode. I apologize. No, that's fine. So. For closing arguments, just so you guys know out there, it's the burden of proof for the people, mm-hmm. which means they get to go first and last. So the defense gets no rebuttal in closing arguments. So you kind of, I know that's the first time I exhale in the entire trial experience is as soon as closing arguments are done, I can then say, well, I have nothing else I have to say. Like, I don't have to take notes on the people's rebuttal because there's nothing I get to say right. about it anyway. Right. Uh, I did like in this movie that they got it right that the people sat closest to the jury. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Also, uh, the reason that they go first and last, like I said, burden of proof, which means you don't say the people rest after no, your you don't. closing argument. No, you say that after you're done with evidence. After your case is done, yeah. your case in chief is, is over. Nobody rests after the closing argument, and it bothered me. I know Kevin Spacey did it. I think they both did They both did it. I noticed them both doing it. And I was like, well, if you did rest after closing arguments, if that were how it worked, then McConaughey's right. But 
if he if if it were that you re- you say I'm done, then would he not get back up and do a rebuttal after he, he said wouldn't be I allowed rest? To, I mean, ideally, you wouldn't be allowed to do a rebuttal. Right. You'd be like, he rested. There's nothing I can do for you. But in the real world, they would have both rested when they were done with witnesses and and documents, and then they argue. That's how it goes. Yes. Yep. Um. I just wanted to say, so this was definitely a case of jury nullification, and that's where the jury decides a crime is bit like they they believe the person to be guilty of the crime, that but they believe the thing should not have been a crime, and it's yeah. it's a way that juries can decide things in the United States and some other countries, um, where you'll get this with like marijuana sort of crime, like if people don't think marijuana should be illegal the jury can decide not to convict that person based on that. Yeah. Um, but you can't argue it. You can't be a defense attorney and stand up and say, well, I don't think, in, I don't think in any case you can argue for jury nullification. Can you? Or any state? No, okay. no, not at all. Um, no. I don't know. There's New Hampshire. Like I, there's Louisiana's <laughs> out there <laughs> no, that do I, weird I stuff. I, 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 it's possible. I didn't mean to say flippantly, like, come on, Aaron. Can't you? Of course you can't. <laughs> I'm saying that as I'm fairly certain no state would Same. allow that. I but guess like, is what I should say. It can happen. It's not an illegal verdict, uh, but you can't, as a no. defense attorney, stand up and say, even though my guy did it, you shouldn't convict him because this shouldn't be a crime or what he did was righteous or, or whatever. It, it's okay. Yeah. And, th- and that's McConaughey's entire closing argument. Yeah. Is wouldn't you do this so we're cool? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the, the book is very much stacked in favor of. The prosecution. I mean, this is a defense attorney talking, but I, I think a lot of people would agree that the rule. I mean, defense being a responsive uh, profession anyway, which means that the prosecution can set up their case as long as they want before they charge it. You know, subject to statute of limitations rules. But the one thing that's nice is the people are not allowed to have appellate rights for not guilty verdicts. Right. So they don't get to appeal any of this. Whereas if there's a guilty verdict, I get to appeal it and say the jury messed it up, there was insufficient evidence to sustain such a verdict, you know, things like that. The, the people just have to sit with it and go, you know, I had my shot, not guilty, case is over. Like, that's it. Yeah. We're done here. Uh, a, a hung jury, they can retry the case. They can refile it and yeah. retry it. Yeah, they have to start back at the beginning. Yep. Uh, then they go so. outside and they all hug in front of the American flag like it's not the most dangerous time in the uh, in the case. On the steps where a man died yesterday by being shot in the yesterday. face by the Klan, uh, this guy comes out just getting, getting his not guilty verdict, hugs his daughter uh, in front of the American flag. I think that's the part that the Europeans maybe found a little bit heavy-handed. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, Matthew McConaughey's white family does go to their black barbecue and race relations are solved. Um, everything's fixed. Everything's, everything's fixed. fixed. Like, did you notice they're going to play together forever? That the nurse in Roark's hospital room that yells, We Octavia won, Spencer. is Octavia Spencer. Oh, I'm on Octavia Spencer look all day. You barely see her I face. I paused it like four times to be like, Is that Octavia Spencer or just a lady oh. that looks at hell? Because who would put Octavia Spencer in a movie? To say one line without facing the camera. I want to encourage everybody out there to go look at Octavia Spencer's IMDb. It's about 130, <laughs> 140 films long. Yeah. Okay. She was like, she's in Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. She did she's the work. In, she, yeah. She fucking earned her shit. All right. Yep. And she's incredible. But one of the ridiculous things about somebody that talented is when you go back and you watch basically a movie from 95 through like 09. She will be a bit part in most of those movies. 
Yeah. And it's fantastic. But yes, that was Octavia Spencer. Uh, okay, we awards. Awards. You ready? Okay. Yeah. So uh, nominees for best lawyer, I guess, would have to be OP, McConaughey, Spacey, The Judge. It's kind of all we got. Rorak. I guess we can add Rorak yeah. to it. Um, oof. I mean, my gut says Spacey, I guess. Uh, but he wasn't super, like, he was real racist. I didn't like that. Like, he said some stuff uh, about, yeah, quote, totally coloring agree. the jury. Um, he, the, <laughs> he definitely deserved a Batson challenge. Uh, yep. But as far as, like, things said in the courtroom, I think probably the best. I mean, it's it's a bleak uh, pool of lawyers here. I guess, I, and I didn't mean to sandbag, I guess I could throw Donald Sutherland in there. Drunk guy that hangs out in the back of the courtroom. I mean, the thing is, you can't, who, who do you pick? I, yeah, probably Spacey. Yeah, because you can't pick Rex, because he's the one that goes and tells her to, to break into the... What? And he's the skeezy lawyer. Like, he's yeah. the guy hanging around going, like, I'll do anything to win my case. And that's not a good lawyer. No. That's a, that might be a rich lawyer. That might be financially successful. Yeah. But that's a bad lawyer. He tells her to go break into the psychiatrist's office. You can't choose Rourke because she's not a lawyer, barely knows how to and use Westlaw by her own admission. I found these cases. Can you believe yeah. it? And yeah. also breaks into the, the place. Yeah. She's never going to yeah. pass a character and fitness exam. Um, this could be a rough go. Or screening. Uh, it can't be McConaughey. Certainly can't be the judge. No. Yeah, I think it's got to be Spacey. I, I mean, this is, a, this is a... co-counsel? Did he have one? <laughs> Was, does Spacey have a co-counsel that did nothing? Because by doing nothing... <laughs> That person was maybe, the, oh, the best. Maybe it was the uh, the uh, associate DA when they were talking about, like, they're going to file these motions. Yeah. And he was like, okay, I'll carry this folder out of your office. Maybe that guy. Yeah, that guy that was like, what's a change of venue? Probably that guy right. is the best <laughs> lawyer in the film. Because he's at least intellectually curious. Yeah. So, um, yeah, tough award. Now, here's the real battle. Worst lawyer. Same crop. <sighs> judge. I, I've got to go with the judge. See, I'm going with McConaughey. It's a it's a close call. It is a close call. I, I I don't think the judge is a bad lawyer. I think he's probably going to come up in another category for me. The idea but, that he had no mist he never declared a mistrial is just so egregious. Right, right. Um, and whereas I I think the judge can do the job of a lawyer and is probably a decent lawyer, but chose not to do the things he knows he should have done. Whereas McConaughey. I think is a bad lawyer mm-hmm. and I think doesn't know how to ask questions and I think doesn't know how to write well and no. I think doesn't know how to whatever. I think he knows how to smile but and be God charismatic damn that charisma. and so sweaty. Just, yeah. you can't tear your eyes away from him when he's saying words to you and that... Does he even have to be saying words no, for you to no, not No, he could also be pausing him? between words and boy... Yeah. The flow is incredible at this yeah. time. This is... Um, and that's what puts him just... Just above the judge in terms of lawyering <laughs> is just, um, yeah. Fair. Totally fair. Yeah. Um, another uh, barn burner of a race. What's the most unethical thing you saw? I, I have to go with that ex parte conversation with the judge. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to say the judge denying motions that weren't filed. 
uh-huh. and then calling around. This, this kind of flows into the ex party. I just think the judge's legal decisions were the most consistently unethical thing that happened in the entire in the entire case. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was ridiculous and egregious, and that's where I, I think is the difference for me between was he a bad lawyer, or was he just being really unethical? But a close second, being incredibly unethical. yeah, a close second is Rourke breaking into a witness's office. Yes, yes. At, at the time. behest of a counsel sitting on the case. Because <laughs> it's not like, just, because if she's just an intern who's working on the case that just goes rogue and comes back and is like, I broke into their office. Here's here's what we got. You just right. fire her, put that on the record, say, I didn't fucking look at it and hope for the best. But like Rex asked her to go do that. Well, and this whole movie is vigilante justice. It's vigilant. Like, yeah. it's cool that Carl Lee was a vigilante. It's cool that... Uh, Rorak and McConaughey are going to do whatever they mm-hmm. have to do inside or outside the bounds to win the case. Yeah, but um, I think that's the thesis: is you can't get justice in America. So, right. and this oh, is what absolutely. has to be I, done. I agree. Yeah. So, what they get most right? Uh, that the the look on McConaughey's face when when that witness <laughs> testified, and and the and the oh, Spacey said. It. I mean, it was it was just so accurate. Yeah. Guys, we'll uh, we'll tweet that out or mm-hmm. Instagram or whatever. We'll, we'll get that to you. It's, and also, it, falling priceless. in love with every co-counsel that you have. I don't know about you. <laughs> I fall head over heels every time. It's, it, the, the courtroom is definitely where you fall in the love. The sexual that is, tension very in your co-counsel's uh, hotel room during the trial. Yeah. Yep. That's... Where you reek of tequila and crayfish <laughs> and cigarettes. Yep. That's... When your when your co counsel puts that sticker on your butt after you got slashed outside the courtroom, <laughs> that's the most. What's what's your um, most accurate moment? Uh, for me, it's probably. Again, I don't I don't want to just follow you. That was pretty damn accurate. I would say I'm gonna go with the jury, uh, the voir dire mm. prep. Mm-hmm. I think that was. I think that was a nice touch. That's extremely accurate. That that gets skipped a lot. I so. will say this is something we didn't talk about. But, like, treating your client like a friend and then yeah. having your client be like, hi, I'm in jail. I'm not your fucking friend. Like, I mm-hmm. I had so many clients that I would call and say, "How how's it going? Or how are you? How's your day so far? Or just a cordial, hello. Yeah. Hey, it's yeah. me. I'm your lawyer. Like, not fucking great. I'm in fucking jail. Are you kidding me? Like, that response to, like, hi, how's it going? Yeah, it's a very difficult, uh, it's, a, it's a tough sort it's of It's a tough relationship, yeah. To, and to, I to thought that which side you need some to of on. that was a little bit accurate there and how. Um, yeah, absolutely. And usually in movies, they send it the other way where the lawyer's like, I don't have time for you. But I like the fact that Carly was like, hey, dude, cut the shit. Yeah, we we're not friends. friends. I'm in I here, you you're just, out there. And you just saved my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, not so that yeah, I've ever that tried to it. treat and a client as a friend. Most but... wrong. I mean, pick anything for most wrong at this point. <laughs> Just all of it. It's all very wrong. Uh, I would say the questioning is probably the easiest to point out as being... A, just not questions for yeah. the most part. Uh, and B, just it's not even close. Like, some of the stuff is at least close. But, you know, filing motions and having judges render bad judgments on motions happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um you know, things like that. But it just, it was the courtroom questioning for me was the worst thing in the movie. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say the same thing. Just, just every, yeah. everything a lawyer said in the courtroom was wrong. Except for occasionally yeah. Kevin Spacey. Occasionally, which is why he wins the oh so coveted best lawyer award. Yes. Uh, in this one. So 
All right. Well, hey, that's that's a time that's to it. kill. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MovieBriefsPod. You can find uh, or email us, MovieBriefsPod at gmail.com. And I think next up, we had a listener request for a devil's advocate. Yep. So we are going to talk about whether they got representing the devil correctly. <laughs> I think that's kind of what we're going to dive into. Yeah. So uh, until then, guys, we're in recess. Clunk, clunk, gavel. Yeah.